Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good Monday afternoon. Welcome into Grant and Danny. It's February 12th, 2024. We got a great show planned for you today at 4 o'clock in two hours. Ahead of our Beltway Blitz, Nate Bargatze tickets. You want to go see the Red Hot Comedian at Capital One Arena. We've got those for you. At four, right here on the fan. Danny, sadly, the NFL season has come to an end. The wait begins now. A very long, cold, 206 footballless days ahead. The slog begins today. We'll be able to talk about yesterday, last evening, uh, all 77 hours of it. Oh, my God, it took so long. We got to fix that. It's like a college football bowl game midweek type stuff. Uh, speaking of college football bowl games, that's how the game felt to me for maybe the first half. You know, one of those like where both teams have a month off and they had to do exams and couldn't practice regularly. You're not used to that. These two teams that are objectively excellent at the height of their powers, some fumbles, some false starts, some starts and stops. It, it didn't look real clean for a while. Second half business picked up, though. Yeah, it was choppy at best. It was probably bad football at times with the takeaways. But it was interesting to me at halftime, certainly. Early third quarter, you saw a lot of people calling the game a snoozer, saying that it was a bad game. I think we're at a point where anything that isn't a shootout is considered that. Mm -hmm. People mistake offense for a good game or defense for a bad game, in my opinion. Don't you think? In a lot of ways, yes. Yes, there were fumbles. But it wasn't like Christian McCaffrey just fumbled with nobody around him. I mean, a great play was made going to the ground by a defensive player who gets paid a lot of money. There was the sloppy play to start the third quarter where Mahomes threw the pitch on a toss to Pacheco, like up around his shoulder pad, basically. And Pacheco had to fall on that and lose a few yards. But for the most part, the really bad plays that were made offensively were actually good defensive plays. So I'm watching it the whole time. I was kind of thoroughly enjoying it. It was close for the most part. You had the 10-point lead early for San Francisco, but that was in the second quarter. So I wasn't one of the people that thought it was bad. If you're saying it was boring or there wasn't a ton of action, I guess I could get behind that. But I don't mind a good defensive football game. And I thought for the most part, that's what it was early. Yeah, I, I would I would add to that, though, and push back slightly. I do think it was sloppy early on. Again, with, with, with yeah, San Francisco false starts. Sure. Yeah, so then I think we're in lockstep then. The, the, some of the fumbles, you know, are... Whoever the Kansas City Chiefs center is, I've forgotten his name. I looked it up three times. 
please snap the ball above Pat Mahomes' ankles. Yeah, please snap it above his ankles one time in the second half. Stuff like that. You mentioned the pitch to um, uh, to Pacheco. Uh, I think there was a muffed punt before the actual muffed punt happened, and somebody recovered their own fumble. Just, again, it looked like these teams were rusty. But then I think as the second half went on, it became that high-level football we were used to. And you're right. People conflate low scoring with boring. Um, you know, or lack of execution. These two defensive teams, San Francisco played better defensively than they had in some time, I felt like, most of the game. And Kansas City's defense is outstanding. I mean, who is better in pass coverage than that group right now this minute? I, they are incredible. Yeah. Chief secondary is number one in the league. And their corners specifically, shutting down wide receivers on the outside, tremendous. I thought in the first half, namely, really two and a half quarters maybe, and then things changed a little bit. The Chiefs opened up their passing game. They spread San Francisco out a little more. But when they tried to be heavy with their personnel, mm-hmm. be super balanced, run the ball a bunch with Pacheco early, I thought the 49ers defensive front crushed the Chiefs they offensive They were great. Line. Chase Young, I thought, played awesome yep. football, particularly early. That was the best game he's played probably in San Francisco, but certainly in weeks. But just the D-line in general for the Niners, way better than the Chiefs offensive line and that's why it was 10 to nothing with 20 seconds to go in the first half before Harrison Butker kicked a 28-yard field goal just to get them on the board going into intermission. But in the end, we got ourselves a classic, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, you might just skip ahead to because of how long it was, the next time you watch this game back, you might just start watching from halftime basically and get a couple of hours of quality entertainment, but between the second half and then overtime, What a tremendous finish this was. And the story for me is, this is a Patrick Mahomes story. Mm -hmm. Everything else is secondary. Danny, last night, Mahomes led the Chiefs in rushing yards, and his leading wide receivers were McCole Hardman, who's been on the team for a couple of hours coming back from the Jets, and Justin Watson. And they won the Super Bowl. This was far and away, Mm -hmm. not close. The most flawed team of the Reed, Mahomes, Kelsey era. And they ran the table with road games, no less. Yep. They actually went through the hardest path, according to DVOA, ranking of opponents, in the history of a team that won the Super Bowl. Nobody has ever gone on a harder path, quality opponent, on the road and otherwise, than the Chiefs just did. And they did it with their worst team around Patrick Mahomes. He is Thanos. He just snaps his finger and sorry about it, Kyle. You don't get one. Sorry about it, Josh Allen. You got to wear this. Sorry about it, Lamar Jackson, MVP for a second time. You got to go home. It's just different, man. And he wasn't even that great in the first half. No. It wasn't impactful. Didn't do a whole lot. Had the early second half interception. But as that game went on, you just saw it happening again. He, they were not going to lose if he had the ball last. So it's, of course, on that fourth and one, the scramble. Of course, the play call was perfect. Of course, he, you know, uh, the instant where they, they'd been so good and so disciplined. I, thought, I actually thought Tony Romo had his best game as a color commentator in some time. A, a, way less of like, oh, you sound like Roscoe P. Coltrane. You but, enjoyed Romo last night? No, but I think he was better than he normally is. Because I normally think he's dreadful and nearly, nearly unlistenable. I think he was fine last night. Didn't ruin it for me. But he actually did a really good job of pointing out how good Nick Bosa was in the, the backbreaking thing that Mahomes does more than more than anybody else is that you don't you think he's hemmed in and he somehow 
weasels his way out to the right, whether he goes under you, goes over the top, whatever, and then it's the run-pass option, and he slings it down the field for a back-breaking gain or finds Travis Kelsey, plastering a receiver, or, or a defender, rather, whatever it is. And Bosa wouldn't let him do it the entire game. So, of course, that one time where the defensive tackles maybe pushed a little bit wider than they should have, instantly squirts through huge scramble uh you know game changing sort of field position move where he ran for you know whatever it was 20 yards things like that and you just go you can't stop this guy you can't you cannot stop him that play was incredible because the chiefs are the only team in the NFL that does not run quarterback sneaks mahomes a couple of years ago ran a quarterback sneak i don't know if you remember this it was a primetime game and he got banged up like his knee got hurt and he had to play the rest of the game with a knee after he came out for a little while and got examined and over the last couple of years, they have not run a single quarterback sneak. They refuse to do it. So they were the first team, I think, to start doing the thing where they bring the tight end in motion when they're in shotgun. And Kelsey or Noah Gray or one of those guys yep. gets up under center as a big body to do the quarterback sneak. But they've done that so many times now that any time you know, the tight end comes in motion and starts to creep up toward the center, it's just kind of known what they're going to do. And there's not a whole lot you can do off of that. So I thought right then and there, at fourth and a couple of feet, they were going to lose because they didn't have, on, on a year that's been all about the tush push, mm -hmm. how easy it is to just fall forward, they're the one team that doesn't have that play. Reed refuses to run it. I guess technically they could have run it for the first time in a couple of years, and it would have been a big story, I'm sure, locally in Kansas City, but they didn't need to. Like you said, that was such a good design. It was their two best players were involved. Either you're going to toss the ball to Kelsey if no one's around him, or he's going to be a lead blocker and Mahomes will keep go get me two yards. And it just so happened that he got a lot more than that. Uh, they continue their drive. They go on to win the football game in overtime, 25 to 22 in what was an epic. Uh, I just think that they're not going to win it every year. Obviously, it's too hard. Mm -hmm. But with Mahomes being 28, six years in, having won three championships, four AFC titles, theoretically, he's only going to be getting better. You know, Kirk Cousins talks about this a lot. I saw him this week talking about as a quarterback, and you're, you're in your mid-30s, upper 30s, you, you're smarter than you've ever been before. You're mm -hmm. seeing things pre-snap. Like, I'll, I'll go the other side. There were a few times last night on huge downs where Brock Purdy didn't check out of something or didn't account for a blitzer, uh -huh. and it destroyed the 49ers. There was the last play of offense that they had, remember, where Chris Jones was just untouched coming downhill toward Purdy, and there was an incompletion trying to throw it out wide, I think, to Juwan Jennings, and then they had to kick the field goal in overtime. Mm -hmm. If you kind of see what they're doing there, you can get out of that play. There was another big third down before the 53-yard field goal for Moody. The third and five, the corner blitz? Exactly. Yeah. Where coming off of the slot, I think it was McDuffie, mm -hmm. he's pretty obviously coming. Like, he's halfway between the slot receiver and the tight end. He did. He figuratively was like, <laughs> like pretending I, I'm, I'm not a threat, or like looking away. And it was like, dude, that guy's coming. <laughs> but if you're Purdy or, yeah. or just like, I don't know if Mahomes does it. I'm guessing he would. Certainly a veteran quarterback kind of accounts for that. And either, you know, you tap your helmet, you do something. Did you, you see alert. Trent Williams pointed out, by the way? Exactly. In real time. And you're just going, oh, he's like, he, he recognized it, but you missed it. So yeah. I, I wonder a little bit. I thought Purdy was fine. He was good enough to mm -hmm. win. I hate going through, he missed this throw, missed that throw. Every quarterback misses a throw in every game. The the, the big one was Debo open for a touchdown they didn't hit on. Yep. Shades of Jimmy Garoppolo puts the game away for Kyle and the 49ers five years ago. Same kind of deal. 
There was another play early, remember, with Brandon Ayuk, where he kind of threw it over the wrong shoulder. I thought it was a lower percentage play, though, but he was definitely open. On both of those plays, Chris Jones was great, was coming downhill toward Purdy, getting up in your face, making you throw it a, a tick earlier than you wanted to. But I did wonder on a couple of those huge rushes mm-hmm. if that's something where if your quarterback on the field is an extension of you and he's a little further along and he's not a second-year player who's basically you know one and a half full seasons into his career, what does that look like, right? But Mahomes, you don't have to worry about that. He just does all the right things. How about this, Danny? Six years in now, 15 playoff wins, third all-time. Tom Brady has 35 playoff wins. It took him 22 years. Patrick Mahomes is on pace in 22 years to win 81 playoff games. Now, he's not going to do that. But my point is, Brady won 35 over 22 seasons of a career. Mahomes is on a pace where if he plays for 22 seasons, he will have 81 playoff wins. Joe Montana, second all-time, 16 playoff wins. He did it in 15 seasons. The pace that Mahomes is on, that would be 37 playoff wins over 15 seasons. We've never seen anything like this. It's amazing. He has been a starting quarterback for six years in the NFL. All six times his team played in the conference championship game. They are 4-2 and two in those games. They lost one Super Bowl and won three others. We should not be taking any of this for granted. This is so impossible Given this league, if this was, you know, this is the NBA, like we saw similar type runs with Jordan and company, It feels right? like the NBA, like the Warriors and or your LeBron or Steph or whatever. Yeah, because one guy can make that much of a difference in that league. Right. Playing 40 minutes both ways, yes. you know, dominating possession and taking the other team's people, best player out. You're exactly. 10% of the people on the floor rather than being one out of 36 in, in, in his sport. The 2019 Chiefs, I think, probably have three or four guys in common with this 2023 group. The turnover is that is that profound. Of course, you've got a Hall of Famer tight, tight end that's already set the record for playoff receptions. You've got one of the great coaches of all time, of course, in Andy Reid, who's at the height of his powers as well. None of that should change the fact that Josh Allen doesn't have squat, Joe Burrow doesn't have squat, a whole bunch of other guys around this league don't have anything because he's there. This is not what is supposed to be happening. The league has basically said, figuratively, or, or in, in action, we're here for turnover. We want every team going into August to think they got a shot. Everybody, if they squint the right way or this player pans out, could be a playoff team, and you could see it happen. They are the answer to that. The same way the Patriots were, frankly, for for multiple decades, basically. For 20 years, they played in half the Super Bowls and 80% of the conference title games. That that run defied what was going on in the league, and that's happening right now with Kansas City, too. I, I thought we'd go another several decades before we saw something similar where they're immune to – the, what the rest of the league does. It's like waves crashing on the shore. Eventually, you'll give in. You'll lose one too many receivers, one too many offensive linemen get hurt, and you'll never be the same. They are immune to it, and it's unbelievable. It's because of him. My math was bad. It's 33 players, but it, it's 3% that you account for mm-hmm. of the players that are on the field. Now, it goes without saying you're the most important player by far, but in basketball, you're 10% of the guys that are playing mm-hmm. at any given moment. It's It's not supposed to be like this. The craziest stat I saw last night, and there were a bunch of them, when the Chiefs are down by a touchdown in the playoffs, this could be early, but oftentimes it's late, as we've seen. But when they are down by a touchdown, Patrick Mahomes led Kansas City as 9-2. and two. Think about that. He joked, I think he was joking, maybe he was telling the truth, 
after the game last night to Chris Berman, I was watching it about midnight on NFL primetime. When we get down 10, it wakes us up a little bit. It's a good thing for us. Down 10 for a lot of teams is a death sentence. Down 10 in a big spot, yeah. you're turtling, you're petrified. The next mistake means it's out of reach. It's like being down a couple goals in hockey and the other team's attacking on the power play or something. They almost are comfortable and prefer it. They're 9-2 and two when they're down a touchdown in the playoffs. In those situations, Tom Brady led New England, just to give you the comp, in the playoffs was 10-11. and 11. Like, this has never happened before. It's a crazy thing that we're seeing. First quarterback last night to ever win a Super Bowl with the largest cap hit. One of the amazing things yes. in Brady's tenure was he would take less. going to bring this up, yeah. And he, you know, he was so selfless. One of the things I really loved about him is he never took as much as he could. Mahomes, remember, signed a half a billion dollar contract. Now, it's spread out over so long like a baseball deal that they'll be able to rework it as need be. So his cap number last this season was $37 million, number one in the NFL. But the last two seasons, for the first time, the starting quarterback has accounted for 16 and 17% of the cap. And until Mahomes last year, the thought was always, you can't win a Super Bowl paying your quarterback that much money. And obviously, you can't pay Baker Mayfield that much money mm-hmm. or you know, probably Geno Smith that much money. But you could pay Patrick Mahomes whatever the hell you want to. Because if Miko Hardman and Justin Ross are his leading wide receivers and he's the leading rusher, he'll still beat a team in San Francisco last night with his boys who were the favorites in every game they played all season long. It's just crazy, man. It really is. It really is. And, and you run out of words, right? You run out of – it's all It's all sounds hyperbolic at this point, how good he actually ends up being. I mean, it's shocking when it doesn't go well for him. I mean, that that's the point I'm at as a fan, right? Watching some of those moments where he's sliding up in the pocket and is about to do that jump throw or, you know, somebody catches him from behind and tackles him, you're almost stunned. Like that one play that he, he was moving towards the line of scrimmage, he ends up throwing the interception on where he either overthrew Kelsey or underthrew the receiver. It might have been Rice. I'm not sure who, it was in between the two of them. But when he throws that pick, Grant, it's shocking. You know, Like when something doesn't work out for him, you're shocked. Like when he got called for an intentional grounding, trying to push the ball with two hands running away from Nick Bosa, uh, you know, just past the line of scrimmage. And you're like, He's going to get away with it. And then when he does it, it's like jarring to see that it didn't work for this guy who's got more horseshoes and more skill in, in all those different places. I mean, he was he's just so amazing. And, and I hate that I'm sitting here just gushing about it, but you just the number of times he does something and you just shake your head and you go, regular quarterback trying to do that would fail so miserably, it's not worth doing. Bill Vinovich had a good night, I thought. I thought so, too. Not a story, really, last night. The huge timing of the call against Kansas City that allowed San Francisco's drive to continue in overtime. Optics were bad as soon as you saw the replay. I can't imagine anyone disagreed with that. The right call. It was the correct call. It has to be called. It's a holding penalty. No-brainer. Now, there were some non-calls on what I perceived to be holding penalties against the Chiefs, holding 49ers edge and interior rushers on the final game-winning drive. I would always rather prefer that. Swallow those flags. Fewer penalties is good, not bad. I'm not saying every single play was officiated perfectly. I don't think that's the expectation. But there were no jarring, bad calls, bad moments. I thought that officiating crew, which we only ever bring up, like last year when Mm -hmm. there's something quirky at the end of the game, I thought they did what they've done all year long, which is why they were in this game. They kind of let the teams play. 
If there was something that directly affected the play for the most part, they threw the flag, but it was pretty clean otherwise. But a Chiefs team, Kelsey's unbelievable. He's one of the great tight ends ever, obviously. One catch for one yard in the first half. Then he went eight for 92 in the second half. They made a little tweak there, it seems. <laughs> got, he got it going some. Uh, but it was Miko Hardman and Justin Watson. Basically, that the Chiefs were throwing the football to. Uh, incredible and breathtaking performance. So we were sitting here before the show, and Danny and I are waxing poetic on Mahomes and where he ranks and all these things. And Ryan goes, I'm out. He's over Mahomes. And it got us to thinking, are you sick of the Chiefs yet? Have they jumped the shark? Have they become now? They've got three and five years. They've gone back to back. Are you over it to the point where you will root against them actively next year? Or is this still fun? Do you find this iteration of winners likable enough that you want to see them continue the dynasty? 800-636-1067, MGM National Harbor Listener Lines, Grant and Danny. Super Bowl 58 last night goes to the Kansas City Chiefs. Second time in as many years, back-to-back. For the first time in 19 seasons, a team accomplished what the Chiefs set out to. That's three in their last five. We're going to get to whether or not you are tired of the Chiefs yet. Have they jumped the shark? Because they've been a very likable team. They've been rooted on largely for being innovative, offensive. This is a high-scoring Easy watch, so to speak. You got a Hall of Famer at quarterback and at tight end and at head coach. They've had different iterations where they had the fastest, most electric wide receiver as well. We'll get into that. We haven't talked much about the Niners yet. So really quickly, I wanted to address their amazing season coming up short and them falling into the graveyard Mm -hmm. with Allen and Lamar (laughs) and these other like really good deserving teams and players who just, it almost feels like you it's the wrong time. <laughs> you, you picked the wrong time, man. But how about Kyle Shanahan, dude? Three Super Bowl appearances. Offensive coordinator with the Falcons. Everybody remembers they were up 28-3 and lost. Arguably the most excruciating Super Bowl loss ever. In his three Super Bowl appearances, though, there have only ever been, out of 58 Super Bowls, two have gone to overtime. He's been on the losing end of both of those. Once as a coordinator, once as a head coach. Obviously, Dan Quinn, the head coach, now with Washington, of the other overtime Super Bowl loss. He's been up by 10 in all three games, although a little bit different this time around. It was 10-0 in the second quarter. It wasn't a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. But just that resume, man, the 25-point lead that that fell apart, two of the only... The only two games to ever go to overtime, you're on the losing end in both. And, you know, people that want to pounce on Kyle will have their pound of flesh. You know, people are going to, you know, he's a Nepo baby and whatever. Missed extra point. Missed extra point. Probably the difference in the game. Muffed punt right before the Chiefs get the touchdown to take their first lead. Nothing you can really do about that. That's bad luck. They were moving on that first drive on that first 15 script, as they always do. McCaffrey fumbles as they're getting into the red zone. Their second drive, they're making a couple plays. And then inexplicably, all-pro elite left tackle, who I feel terrible for uh, losing last night, Trent Williams, who was in his first Super Bowl in year 14, I think it Mm -hmm. is. Trent, back-to-back penalties. The hold and the false start. 
that sets you behind the eight ball. But man, they, they find excruciating ways to lose. One extra point. A third and five for one of the great offensive minds with all the weaponry, with everything. They convert that third and five on that what ended up being a corner blitz. You get a first down. Clock's going to expire with Jake Moody kicking a field goal to win the damn thing. He just banged one in from 53 yards like it was no problem. You win. All these scenarios, you win them. And it happened to go that one way where, you know, like uh, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, Thanos earlier, the one in a billion chance where the Doctor Strange saw that Tony Stark ends up with the jewels. There you go. That's what happened. That It was their one way that it could have lost, and that's how it went down. What did you make of the overtime coin toss and taking the ball first for the Niners? Because in real time, like everybody else, I thought it was insane. I didn't get it. I still wouldn't do it, to be clear. I'm on the other side mm-hmm. of Kyle here. I would have, and this was not, you know, second guessing, although it's also that. But I would have wanted the ball second. Same as a shootout, you know, in hockey, as an example. I never want to be shooting first. I want to shoot second for obvious reasons. Know what I got to do. But I thought maybe the logic was, and I'm sure this was part of it, the defense was on the field for an 11-play drive right at the end of the fourth quarter. Yeah, literally, seconds and, before. And it was short order. I mean, it was a mad dash. It was, you know, no time. Guys aren't really coming off the field much. Like, you are spent. So if he just came out and said, our defense was on the field for 11 plays, I wanted to give them a breather, and they did go on a nice long drive to give their defense a rest, I think that would have made a lot of sense, and I think it was a factor. So that's why, to me, it's not a no-brainer. Like, people who are going... That's so insane. How stupid is that? Well, you think about it. Your defense is taxed. It's You, you put them right back out there. The Chiefs are just going to go through them like string cheese. Uh, Swiss cheese, rather. The second part, though, is Kyle said after the game, and I hadn't thought of this. He said, if you hold serve after both teams equal each other, field goals, touchdowns, whatever, mm-hmm. we now have the ball sudden death overtime, which is the whole point. You know, you want to be able to go score and walk off and win the game. I think that's also a good argument. Now, they didn't get there because they couldn't stop the Chiefs and they scored a touchdown. Mm -hmm. And it was another play, like the third and five, where it was third and a couple. Mm -hmm. And they got a free rusher and Purdy either didn't make an adjustment or the play just didn't work or whatever it was. But I kind of like that logic, too. So I would have done it differently, but everyone's making it out to be like it was this major ridiculous gaffe. And I actually think when you look at it, between the defense getting rest and the ability to have the sudden death possession, I don't think it was as big a mistake as I had originally thought. Nor I. And I didn't even think it was that big of a mistake in, in real time either. And maybe that's, you know. Did you consider the sudden death part? Yes. That, so that, that was that, not on my radar. That until to me is the reason why I, I don't know what I would have done. It's easy for me to say after the fact. And I'm sitting there watching with a group of people, and, you know, the, the, they flashed the rules up. And I know Vinovich probably gave a quick explanation, but still people were kind of lost. They weren't heading up there to their files about, about the overtime rule. Romo and Nance did a bad job. I thought so. As that drive went along saying, hey, the game's over if they score a touchdown. Because Romo was even talking about the clock as if, you know, the quarter's going to end. And, well, so what? Right. Now, I didn't, I didn't even know that. I, I was sitting there confused. I, I'm going, why doesn't Kansas City have any urgency at all? And Romo, to his credit, with like seven seconds left, going, I think a lot of folks at home, Jim, are confused. Uh, if this if, if clock expires, Jim, if we just keep going. It's like the first quarter of overtime. And I go, I didn't know that. A producer finally got in his ear and was yeah. like, hey, Dummy, we should tell people this. Yeah, I didn't know that. I mean, even, even you know, do the best they can to pay attention, children and food, whatever. But, but see, here's my question. Yeah. 
Kyle says if they hold serve, both get a field goal, both get a touchdown. Mm-hmm. It's sudden death. It's our ball. So now all of a sudden it was brilliant, obviously, to get the ball first. And all the people that were screaming would feel differently. But here's the point. Would the Chiefs have gone for two? That to me That's is the, the equalizer, right? I guess you just don't know. But what do you think? I mean, if you're Andy Reid, let's say the 49ers score a touchdown, hit their extra point. Now you go down, you run corn dog, you get into the end zone on your same play from last year. Are you kicking and extending overtime and giving them the ball back? Or do you go for two to win the Super Bowl there? So I think you probably go for two because, to Kyle's point, they now have the distinct advantage. Meaning this is the third possession. There's no more equalizing possession to come. So they could go down and kick a field goal and beat you. But then doesn't that take away Kyle's argument that we'd get the third possession? No, I, but, but that's, my, that's my point. If I'm Andy Reid, I'm going for two, and that's why. No, I understand. You force them into that decision. But in other words, then you're never getting a third possession anyway if the expectation is that the other mm. coach is going for two. You would if it's if it's two field goals, but, yeah, your point stands. If, if everybody scores a touchdown. Also, it's not a lock. I mean, that is that is a big stone. Really, with the Super Bowl on the line, you're going to lose by a point going for two? I know Ron Rivera would send that extra point team back out there. You got, more so than anything else, really got to do that, okay? Extend that football game. Uh, are you over the Chiefs yet? Are you tired of this? I'm not. I'm not. And it's strange because I was tired of the Patriots. I was real tired of the Patriots by the mid-2000s, let alone the next 15 years where they were still really, really good. This early into it? Like oh, yeah. Six years in, you were tired of the I Patriots. I was so sick of it. Well, that was a way less aesthetically pleasing brand of ball. That was defense, running game. You know, Not that it's a bad way to do it, throwing to running backs. No, this is very, very different, I think. I think so, too. I mean, they were great. I'm not taking anything away from the Patriots. They were great. They, they're the, the dynasty, I say, we should pay more attention to how incredible that was, the longevity, and how excellent they were. It's more impressive to me than anybody else's sports dynasty. Take your Celtics of the 60s and UCLA before, like, freshmen were allowed to play varsity. All the, the, Pound sand with those. That Patriots dynasty that we just saw is the most impressive thing I've ever seen in sports. Didn't mean I enjoyed it. It wasn't much fun. I was sick of it early on. I'm not sick of this, and, I, and I'm not. I'm trying to figure out why. I'm not either. I think it's two things. Number one, I think it is that this is a fun watch. Not this year, clearly. This was more of a defense run game. Mahomes making some hero plays, kind of script. This has been the best offense in the NFL during this six-year era, though. That's fun to watch. You know, when you're betting or playing fantasy football, you've got a bunch of Chiefs on your team. If you're betting on games, you got Kelsey over, you got Rice over, you got Mahomes throwing for 300. Like, that is a factor. I really believe that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, and I don't know exactly how or why this is, but I find that the key ingredients here, extremely likable. Andy Reid, to me, exceedingly likable. Wants to go eat a cheeseburger after the game and talking about the spread, right? Patrick Mahomes, compared to Tom Brady, immensely likable to me. And so you you just don't see him screaming at his linemen the same way. And I I don't have any problem looking back on Brady. I really, he's just a great winner. He's a champion. Mm -hmm. Watching the Michael Jordan documentary, Last Dance. I mean, what a jerk he was to his teammates a lot. Like, that doesn't really bother me. But other than the time that Mahomes pouted after the the call against Tony, I don't know that he's had one of those moments. I feel the same way about him as I do Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Where like I really like Steph Curry. 
I'd like to hang out with Steph Curry. I, well, I think they've I don't done feel similar that way about LeBron as an example. Right, LeBron to me, I I can't explain why, but I don't like him. I like I would I hang out with him? Of course, it's LeBron James. Sure. But like, there's a likability factor that he doesn't have that Steph does, and it's part of why the Warriors to me are the Chiefs. I've always kind of Draymond's not this way, and I don't think Kelsey is this way. I think he's jumped the shark a little bit with like a stupid yelling party this party that let's viva las vegas i I love him as a player i could do without all the other stuff on the stage but it doesn't matter like to me the quarterback the head coach the offense the scheme the points it's it's very different than new england the two things that i would or the one thing i'd say super quick there's a great comp with steph curry where i think both of these guys in terms of mahomes and curry have changed the games that they play where everybody coming up now wants to backyard this thing or shoot from 70 feet away Neither of us are out on the Chiefs yet. It's not the case for everybody in the room right now, though. Where are you guys at on Kansas City? Have they jumped the shark as a champ and as a winner? G&D on the fan. McKinnon is in at running back. First down and goal to go. Play action fake. Right side throw. Touchdown. Kansas City. McCall Hardman. McCall Hardman with the catch on the right side. A three-yard touchdown pass in overtime. Kansas City wins the game. 25-22. And the Chiefs kingdom has started its own history class. Because for the first time in 6,944 days, there is a back-to-back Super Bowl champion, and it is the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs Radio Network on the call. What must it be like in Kansas City to be flying back from seeing your team win the Super Bowl, preparing to take off from three days of work for the bender you're about to go on, sandwiched around a championship parade. Now, I've been to a couple of those. They're yes, fun. Yes, they are fun, yeah. I think the NFL version of the NFL football team in your mm-hmm. town might be on another level. Must be nice, though, to be able to go, do you like this one the best or the second one or the first one? Because I'm I'm conscious and awake, and I got to see all of them. It's not just some distant memory. When the Caps and the Nats had their parades, yeah. they had to, like, plan it out. Mm-hmm. They had to go, oh, what street should we go down? What do you want to go down? The Chiefs are just going, give the uh, – the, the path from last year. Can you give that to the driver, please? Mm-hmm. It's just a different process altogether. You go straight on Maine. My buddy, uh, Alex Gold, who I do the BetQL shows with on the mm-hmm. weekend on CBS Sports Radio. So he's based in Kansas City. And his thing is just like, he posts this picture of Mahomes and he's like, he's inevitable. Like, they just know. Down 10? Fine. They know. Underdog again? Fine. Greatest quote ever last night. If someone's not putting it on a t-shirt already in Kansas City, you're all stupid. Patrick Mahomes on the podium goes, the Kansas City Chiefs are never underdogs. Oh, my God, that's fire. Yeah, it's pretty that good. That is so damn good. It's pretty good. The only thing that would have been better is if he cut a promo and said, as long as I'm your quarterback, you'll never be an underdog. I thought about a Commander's T-shirt that said never underdogs, and then I realized. Always underdogs. Constantly <laughs> underdogs. At all times. That would be a good T-shirt, too. Double-digit underdogs normally. Oh, man. Uh, Eric Flack's going to join us at the top of the hour in about 10 minutes. He's our buddy from Channel 9, one of the great investigative reporters in town. He is suggesting, and there's some rumblings, that the stadium bill to move the Caps and the Wiz to Virginia 
could be dead right now. So we got to get to the bottom of that. Mike's in Gaithersburg. Mike, are you over the Chiefs? I'm not, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call, too. Appreciate hey, it. Um, I'm glad you guys are asking this also, and I, I think, Grant, you nailed it on the likability factor. But to get there, you have to actually do your homework. And the reason I like the question, too, is also because I cut hair for a living, and I ask a lot of people this question, and they immediately hate on the winners. And everybody likes a good underdog. I love a good underdog. We love the story. But I think people are getting really confused on what's an underdog, the story. And then when you're just blindly hating on somebody, the fact of the matter is they were dogs. They did go on the road. This is a great story for Mahomes. I didn't know he said that at the podium. That is pretty gangster. Oh, it's so pretty badass, yeah. And for the record, I want to reiterate, DVOA to me is like the best metric to rip everything out that's not controllable and just even the, even the playing field and find out how good a team is. This was the most difficult road to a Super Bowl win in terms of playoff opponents and where you're playing the game in history. And they did it with Rasheed Rice and and uh, Justin Ross. Now, what's his name? Justin Sanders. Justin, Justin Watson. Justin Watson. I don't care. Those were their receivers. Let's go to Charles in D.C. Hello, Charles. Grant, Grant and Danny. Body. What's up, buddy? How, how are we doing on this fine afternoon, gentlemen? Pretty good, dude. The day after Super Bowl you, wings you, and meatballs day. Die. You guys asked a wonderful question on this fine radio program, and my response to that is I'm, I'm not necessarily getting tired of the Chiefs, but I am getting tired of the, 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 the circus that goes along with that. Just bear with me for a second. The, the, the Taylor Swift phenomenon, mm-hmm. like, can, can that just go away? Grant and Danny, that, that, was, that was actually a betting prop on how many times they were going to show her in the crowd. I hope you took the over. They actually won the Super Bowl this year. So can you imagine going into next season? But Charles, know, the, the my guy. That's going to go along with that. Well, first of all, great call. Yep, totally this is right. the energy we're looking for, this right? This is what it is. Very yeah. sweet as well. That was a good call. Thank you. You didn't miss any plays, right? We're all fine. Blake Lively's next to her. If you get angry when a camera shows Blake Lively, you can kiss my ass. Okay, that's where I'm at on this whole thing. That's so right. if that's annoying to you, you're annoying. That's where I'm at. Who who was the other person that was there a lot? There were The, the cast next to her would change a lot. Blake uh, Lively was this there. This is a Darius question because he was telling me about her like a month ago. Spice nice or I, something? I, I spy, someone <laughs> said to me. I spy somebody yeah. with uh, you know, curly hair. I, don't I know. know Spice won the rapper from my day. I know no. the Spice Girls. But this, this, this is, is the I girl Spice. you were telling me about like three weeks ago. She's a female rapper by the name of Ice Spice. Ice Spice. Yes. I'm sure and, she is. And so I said to, there, uh, there was a little 10-year-old girl who's like my kind of my touchstone here for who's who and what are they doing, what are they saying. Yeah. And I go, who? why is she there? She's got She's right next to Tay-Tay. And she, she said, and I quote, she was on one of the songs. Is that true? That's what she told me. So they, I think that's they what were, my source said. They were totes BFFs. It looked like. I guess they were like walking in together, leaving together, PJ in together. I don't know if they're touring in all d- spice. together. Who? What is she known for? Ice spice latte, whatever her name is. That's a phenomenal question. Ryan, let's tag in Ryan. He's the young person. With all due respect to Darius, you were the one that showed me her, but Ryan would have more information. Shy latte. What did she do? So she is known for some of her raps, but she's very notorious for this one dance move that she kind of created. It's not really something that is PG worthy, so we can't really share this mm. dance move. Yeah. But it's very, mm. yeah, it's it's not a very classy dance move. I don't okay, care. is it a twerk? 
It's not a twerk. It's it's is it like a twerk. A variation it's, it's of a, a twerk. Uh, you, you could what, say it's a what variation. Is, like what is she showing off? Butt. Uh, there's or? yes, yes. There's a okay. little bit of that okay. also, and there's kind of like a, a wiping effect too. So it's it's a, a little wiping. Is it yes. suggestive in nature, Ryan? Would you say? We don't know. Okay. We can't say. All right. Disgusting. What would Joe Buck say? What a despicable act. <laughs> what a despicable act by all spices. <laughs> I mean, what, a, what I would love to be in that booth. You know who I'd kick it with is Jason Kelsey. That guy looks like a lot of fun. He's wearing overalls in Vegas. Well, you're going to have to shotgun a beer, though. He, that's fine. Okay. He was dressed like he was uh, Alan from The Hangover when he got off his plane with a satchel. Yeah. He gets it. Eric Flack says the stadium bill, moving the caps and the whiz to Virginia's dead. Next on Grant and Danny. The Monday after Super Bowl 58, we're going to have to break down our Super Bowl atmosphere, including the foods we consumed at some point, as we like to do on this program. That is still to come, as well as a detailed analysis on how the Chiefs pulled off going back to back. But we wanted to get Murrow and Emmy winning Chief Investigative Reporter Eric Flack on the show from WUSA 9 in town because he's got a bunch of details on what's going on in Richmond as it pertains to the Senate version of a bill to fund the new Capitals and Wizards arena that's supposed to be headed to Alexandria. So, Eric, let's start with, I saw one of the senators from, like, Virginia Beach saying this bill is dead as far as I'm concerned. And then everyone was saying the bill was dead. But with all due respect to her, that's not how that works. But you think we're headed in that direction in the Senate? What's going on? I think it certainly uh, is on life support. But Monumental, which held a press conference this afternoon, will tell you a different story. As you know, and we've talked about with Commander's stuff, for this thing to happen, there has to be a bill that's agreed upon by, by the House and the Senate. And right now, there was a bill to fund the arena at Potomac Yard introduced in the House and the Senate. The House seems to have early approval, but the Senate does not. And it had to come out of finance committee to move forward. That's the first step with one of these bills. But the finance committee on the Senate side is Democratic controlled. And all of a sudden, the Democrats said, we don't feel comfortable with this. So not only did the finance committee on the Senate side uh, not approve it, They wouldn't even take it up. They didn't discuss it other than to say, here's the reasons why we're not going to take up this bill or discuss it. Now, Monumental, again, called a kind of hastily called a press conference at one o'clock because so much is going on to address this. They said, look, we have support in the House. If we can get it passed in the House, then we can meet with the Senate Finance Committee. We can meet with opponents, Democratic mostly, in the Senate and negotiate with them and make them see the light about why this is a good deal and gain their support. 
So they continue to say that there's only one. We asked them, is there a plan A, plan B? They said there's no plan A or plan B. There's only one plan, and this is this arena in Alexandria. But they're going to have to convince some very, very skeptical senators um, if, if this thing is going to be uh, moving forward. So, Eric, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when Linda Kropp, D.C. City Council member, I can't remember exactly yeah. what her role was at, the, at this point, cost yeah. the Washington, D.C., the Nationals. Like, I yeah. remember when it was dead, it was not going to happen, and everybody in the committee just, like, like threw their hands up and were shocked and chagrined. And I remember, like, I was part of a campaign. I, like, called her office and was like, I'd like to register a complaint as a D.C. resident. <laughs> just wanted a baseball team coming back. And then, sure enough, you know, whatever it was, like 36 hours later, tremendous change of heart. This was her grandstanding moment at the time, as I recall. I, I could be getting it wrong. Please no one assume you or get offended. But you see, what I'm, you see where I'm going with this, right? Yeah, of course. I, w- respectfully, I didn't know who Louise Lucas was until I started reading <laughs> you and, and, and others. Is this a time where you get a lot of pub and everybody's asking you for quotes and your standing goes up? Is it really dead or is it a chance to for Louise Lucas to shine? Well, it escalated quickly, and that is what uh, is interesting to me, because she started out by saying, well, I'm not going to just support this if, if, if the governor doesn't have a plan to spread some money, not just to Northern Virginia, but to my district. And many others followed suit and said, you know, hey, we need, we need concessions here. Um, and, and part of her new opposition saying, I'm not even going to talk about this, is she says the governor is unwilling to kind of horse swap and say, hey, OK, you're going to get this. You're going to get this. You're going to get this if you if you support this. There's also a growing concern about the money. And and it's it, as I've worked and this is through Monumental. Um, how it's going to be funded, it's like a billion dollars in bonds that will total like 2.7 or 2.8 billion by the time the bonds are paid off. And the way the bonds work is that in a doomsday scenario, Virginia taxpayers are on the hook for that if Monumental couldn't pay back the bonds, like if everything went south with the arena. Now, Monumental will tell you that is like never going to happen. And there's many provisions, many reasons why the bonds are going to get paid back. But the fact is they could be on the hook. And so I think that when you ask, is she grandstanding? I, 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 I would say that if she was grandstanding, like she was kind of grandstanding at the beginning where you say, I'm not going to support this, but you don't just say, I'm not even going to talk about it. You know, I'm not even going to bring it up for debate. Um, and, and that's, and, and then you also have the fact that Scott Surabell, um, who is from Fairfax County and kind of the author of the Senate bill also has kind of backed off support for it, which is kind of equally, um, uh, you know, concerning that, um, you know, that, that even he acknowledges that, that there are, there are challenges in, in kind of getting this, through the Senate. Eric Flack, WUSA TV9. Why is he backed off in his support? Well, I, I think that he, sometimes when you have something and your Democratic colleagues come to you and say, you know, I'm not going to support this, then you have a, a losing horse, all of a sudden, you know, you kind of back off. And you're like, okay, well, if, if and he always kind of said from the beginning, I'm going to introduce this this doesn't necessarily mean I, I support it, but I'm more than happy to be the person 
to, to introduce it so we can talk about it. But I think that this idea of pouring this amount of money into Northern Virginia was so distasteful to the rest of the state that said, what about me? That they miscalculated. They miscalculated the, the being able to sell it, at least on the Senate side. Eric, react to this opinion that I have. I find it impossible to believe that Leonsis, Monumental, the governor, that big stage event that we all talked about for weeks, that they do that without knowing this thing's going through. Look at the back and forth now between the mayor and Leonsis publicly. I mean, in some yep. ways, like the damage has been done here. And a lot, like from a legacy standpoint, if you're Leonsis, you've got to come through with Virginia because if you just stay in D.C., and they're mad at you and hate your guts. Like, that's not a good look. I, I, He's too smart. And my opinion is this is going to happen, and it's going to go through, because they didn't start all this if it wasn't going to, and they didn't already know they had what they needed. Where am I wrong? Well, I mean, I think the only thing you're not considering is giving them so much credit to think that political calculations can't be, can't be overstated or incorrect or missed the mark. There is no way that they thought that that the bill wouldn't even get a hearing in the finance committee. There's no way they calculated that. They certainly thought, and they certainly had conversations with a Scott Suravel, a Democrat, um, and then you've got the Republican governor, so we've got kind of a bipartisan effort here to say, hey, will you be the one to introduce this so we have some bipartisan bipartisan support? But, you know, things happen, and, you know, the, the, the Jack Ken Cook trying to build a stadium with Doug Wilder in Virginia decades and decades ago was a little bit different because it wasn't killed over politics. But, but they had a, a big podium arena, I mean, a dog and pony show for that one, too. And we're moving, and, you know, we're shaking hands. And that never happened. So, I mean, I think you're right. They've been working on this for two years. Two years they're, they're now kind of acknowledging this has been in the works for a long time. In my interview with, with Leon says, it, it's clear he was always intending to go to Northern Virginia. Like staying in Capital One was never the plan, at least with the Caps and the Wizards. So this was always the plan. But I think they miscalculated the, 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 the pushback they were going to have from parts of the state they didn't think were going to stand up and fight. And, and that's what they're getting. But again, Monumental is continuing to say, and this is to your point, Grant, Monumental is continuing to say today, hey, we're all right. This is the process. We're going to get it through on the House side. We're going to negotiate. We're going to convince some people who say they can't be convinced. And, and there is no plan B. There's not even a plan A. There's only one plan. This is a plan. Everybody calm down. Our buddy Eric Flack with us here on GND. So again, at the risk of brushing up against politics, but we are talking about politicians here. Here, here's—I don't want to say I'm skeptical, but I just, I just kind of want your reaction to this. So I guess it's February 10th. Glenn Youngkin, Republican governor of Virginia, gives a big, you know, soaring speech where you use your rhetoric, and I'm turning from side to side, telling you this, that, and the other thing, right? And he's saying mean things about the other team, right? This is a, a normal course of the day. Louise Lucas. Re- repost it and tweets, this is the speech he gives while wanting us to compromise with him and give him the Glen Dome? Then, here we are 48 hours later, she's saying this thing's dead on arrival. 
this feels like you said something bad about my team, so I'm going to embarrass you. And like, it just feels like politics to me, less so than where our sports teams are going to end up playing. And it feels like a game that everybody, you know, makes a big point and then quietly behind the scenes when a bunch of money changes hands and she gets like whatever toll relief she wants in Portsmouth. It's uh, this whole thing just sort of gets worked out. Your thoughts? Maybe, maybe, but especially these days, politics have a way of becoming reality more and more. And people get dug in on their heels and then they hear from their constituents who say, we don't want this and we elected you to fight ideas like this and they realize whoa if if i take a stand on this i'm good to be reelected you know for 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 some time to come i can be a hero to my constituency and i do think speaking of the speech um and 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 how quickly this all escalated um there's a lot of egos involved mm-hmm. and 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 when when people don't like what they hear out of the governor's mouth when the governor needs their help they're quick to say, okay, absolutely not. We're not going to do this this way. You're you're both right in that time will tell if this really ends up unraveling. And 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 I think again, I guess I just go back to the press conference that Monumental held just a couple hours ago, where one of their uh, top people on this project, Monica Dixon, came out and and just calmly said, "We're fine. It's all fine." This is just part of the process. Clearly believing, you know, your your take on this, that that there's a lot of posturing going on here. And once there is, you know, feathers that can be unruffled and egos that can be uh, that can be massaged and and, and deals that can be made um, for for things that that people want to gain support. Um, that that they will, in fact, be able to turn this around. There's also the idea, keep in mind, that negotiations can also in, in involve the financials. The, the the numbers I talked about, a billion dollars in bonds that equals $2.8 billion in repayments over however many decades, that number's not set in stone. They can change that number. They can say, okay, don't, don't, we, you don't have to give us that much money. Give us less money. And, and, you know, I think that's always a possibility, too, to kind of assuage. And that would be a way for Lucas to say, I fought. We won this. That crazy number isn't part of the crazy number anymore. But I'm going to vote for this because they backed off because, you know, we stood up to them. But we're still going to give them, like, you know, some money, but just not that much. That's, that's another way that, that this can all be salvaged. So there's still negotiations to go on. But, you know, once people take very public stands like this, like what happened today, you know, if they swap, if they switch, um, you know, then then it's 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 they're going to have to explain that too. Um, so there's going to have to be a justification for why they would then flop and 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 support the project when they oppose it. So Eric, it seems like this is almost I don't want to say exclusively, but mostly about the financials. What's to keep you know the score from changing a little bit where maybe Leonsis doesn't get exactly what we heard about in that first press conference. But, you know, he pushes his fader up of what Monumental's spending a little bit. The other number comes down and you strike a deal. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to have to be. Here's what I think is not going to happen. And, again, this is just me using my experience in these sorts of things. What I don't think is going to happen is that they're going to move forward with this particular framework and and then somehow convince the Lucases of the world 
to come on board. I mean, you know, they can't they can't uh, have a bill. They can't have an arena. They can't have a funding mechanism without the Senate Finance Committee doing what they have to do to kind of approve something that can be voted on by the full Senate. So, like, it has to happen. So really changing a framework to me seems like the only potential solution, one that they may have anticipated, one that everything's in negotiation. We start up here. We come down here. We meet in the middle. You get some more stuff. I, 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 I give back some stuff, and we're all happy. I don't think that, like, you know, toll relief at this point is necessarily going to get it done for a Lucas on, on a $2.8 billion payback. Eric, um, real quick, because I'm assuming other people listening are thinking the same thing I am. So to, you're saying, like, they're, they're not even really able to have the conversation yet based on the Senate. How do they get on that agenda? Is that a vote? Is it just that three Democrats yeah. have to change their mind? Like, how would you even get to that part? You would you would have to have the leadership in the Senate Finance Committee, which sets the agenda to put it on the agenda. And how far That's, from that are? Is it like every single Democrat doesn't want to do it, or like three need to flip? We had Matt, we had that. I haven't counted the votes yet because we had Matt Torres in Richmond, and I'm like um, doing the monumental side down here, so I haven't counted votes yet. But they they didn't even get it on. They didn't even talk about. It. They didn't even get it on. So leadership has to put it on the agenda. And right now, you know, they're not even good. It's like a Mickelson, uh, Mendelson thing about, you know, it's up to him to put certain things on, on, on the city council. Um, sorry, my alarm's going off. Um, put certain things on the agenda for them to, uh, for them to like go forward. So I haven't counted folks yet. I don't have the answer. To that. But Eric, sorry about that. No, no worries. On, on the DC side of things. Mayor Bowser, op-ed in the Washington Post, and then his, you know, I think she gave a press conference and, and, and made a couple of statements about potential legal ramifications and trying to yeah. enforce their lease. What's the latest there? Yeah, so uh, just two hours before Monumental was meeting with the media um, about, you know, everybody calm down about what happened in Richmond, uh, Mayor Bowser, um, for the first time, uh, said, um, you know, we have a legal strategy. We're not going to talk about it but we're not going to let him just go quietly into the night. Um, they believe they, there's, a, there's a provision in the lease. It's clear as day that, that there's a provision in the lease which says he can repay the bonds early and get out in 2027. The question is, um, can the mayor block him from doing that? And can they go to court and say this provision doesn't really apply or can't be applied here in this manner? Um, so we asked Monumental about that, and they basically said, we have lawyers, too. We wouldn't have done this for two years if we didn't feel pretty good about being able to get out of this lease. There's no way we do all this work and don't check, hey, can we actually get out of this lease? You know, we're, we got lawyers, too. We're fine. The mayor's point is that, you know, she doesn't – she said flat out, I don't intend to pay off the bond. He can give me – Whatever's left on the bond, it's like $50 million that, that was taken out by the city in the bond to, to, as part of this amendment that happened in 2007. Um, only $13 million of it is paid back. She, she hasn't necessarily been using – there's nothing that says she has to use the money to pay off the bond, the excess revenues from the arena. And she basically said he can't 
tell me to earmark, you know, whatever the math is, $33 million or $37 million, uh, he hands me a check. He can't tell me what to do with that money. I'm going to use it for whatever I want, but I'm not going to pay off the bond with it. So she basically believes that's the way for her to block this uh, in a legal standpoint from happening. Again, monumental's attorneys say, monumental's people say, we have attorneys too. We checked into this. We're all good. But the problem is, one last point on that, is even if they're right, it could certainly slow the process if it gets caught up in court. Uh, and, and you know, the, the arena in Alexandria um, isn't supposed to be done until, I don't know, 2028, something like that. Um, but the, uh, if the city wants to play hardball, um, they could potentially um, say, okay, then hit the road, and the Caps and the Wizards could be without a place to play, like without a place to play because their new arena isn't um, uh, finished yet, and their old one, they, they aren't allowed to be there anymore. And, and Monumental acknowledged that fact, that if the mayor wants to play hardball and they move and their new arena isn't finished, they uh, could potentially be looking for a place to play Caps and Wizards games after 2027 for like one year. So they have to convince the mayor, mm. if the Virginia thing goes through, to um, reach an agreement um, to extend the lease. And she's threatening legal action, which seems unlikely um, that she would go, okay, you can stay one more year if, she, if, if, he can, if they can get this deal done in Virginia. A lot of I'm psyched to watch OV chase Gretzky at the St. James. At the St. James. I know. It's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> I can't <laughs> wait. Watch, uh, watch Jordan. Which side of there, left or right? The two rinks. at Eagle Bank Arena. Hey, real quick. We'll end Good it man. here, but I want to ask you, what percentage chance did you think the day of the original press conference that this was going to happen? And what is that number for you right now? 100% the day when that happened. Wow. It's hard to imagine the way they sound that it like is not still going to happen in the end. I do agree with guys, um, but I'm going to go 75%. I'll knock 25% off. I'll knock 25% off that they can't get this through Virginia only because we've seen ideas in Virginia um, for various reasons, get support and then kind of erode. Um, but I think in the end, they just change the deal and, and do some politics stuff and get pe- enough people on board to get it through. But obviously, it's a lot more difficult, and obviously, the chances aren't the same as when it was announced. Eric, thank you as always, buddy. Sorry about that alarm prank. See you, man. Yeah, I, yeah seriously. <laughs> these kids these days, I tell you what. Danny right, should bye. stop trying to steal your Shenanigans. Car. Our buddy Eric Flack on Grant and Danny here on The Fan. Uh, what do you guys make of that and the possibility – that the Virginia Senate could be killing off this bill to move the Caps and the Wizards across the river to Virginia. Do you think it's going to happen? Yes or no? We'll get into that next on Grant and Danny. Eric Flack joined us just a few minutes ago, investigative reporter, Channel 9 in D.C. He's been working this story pretty closely. In fact, he just sat down with Ted Leonsis when I was in Vegas. I saw late last yeah. week. And that's when uh, Leonsis gave the quote that the die has been cast. They are moving to Virginia. The update, though, is that at least for the moment, 
there is a major dispute in the Virginia Senate, and Senate Democrats seemingly want nothing to do with a bill that would allow these teams to come across the river and be in Virginia. Here's what I don't really know, and it's funny. We always say we don't talk politics on this show. I mean, sometimes there's an intersection between sports and politics. There's one of those times. It's pretty unavoidable, so hopefully everyone can just put their, their big boy and big girl pants on and not get too upset for a few minutes. I don't care who the governor is versus who the senators are, or if it was the other side, I would ask the same question. So nobody get offended. It feels to me like this is a huge win for Glenn Youngkin if they can get an arena in Northern Virginia, and the Senate Democrats are in the business of not wanting him to get a win. In the same way, this is just politics, if the governor was, if Glenn Youngkin was a Democrat, maybe it'd be Virginia senators that were Republicans that would be doing this because Yunkin, we were told that day by the people that cover mm-hmm. the Virginia politics game, like this is something that he needs for whatever reason. Like this is his big win, so to speak, at this point. I just don't know how much of it is the inner workings of politics in the Commonwealth versus maybe the Democrats are right in just saying, hey, we don't want people paying for this thing, period. It doesn't matter who the governor is. I don't really know what's what. Flack did eventually say he thinks there's a 75% chance this mm-hmm. thing still happens. That's a big difference between 100% when he was sitting at the original press conference. No, it sure is. And again, I, I, I referenced the Linda Crop situation. If, for those who don't remember, this is all the way back in 2004, 20 years ago. Amazing to think that, that it was really that long, where you had Anthony Williams, who was the mayor of D.C. at the time, a very friendly city council who was all in favor. Major League Baseball was coming to Washington, D.C., a, the, a mostly publicly funded stadium, and this, 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 this. It was a done deal. And at the 11th hour, an election happens in between. Three people that were friendly to the stadium, I put friendly in quotes, are ousted. She's one of the people that then ascends and pulls the rug and says, we're not doing it unless it can be 50% privately financed, which doesn't sound that crazy, but it was crazy given the short time frame. Right, like there was just simply no way that was going to happen. Thomas Boswell wrote a scathing article about this, about how nonsensical it was, and it was dead. The Nationals were not coming, and then they did. Because who knows what happened behind the scenes? But she had her great moment where she got to uh, be the star, and everyone was asking her questions. And all of a sudden, the casual person that couldn't have picked her out of a lineup, aka me, DC resident, all of a sudden I'm now I now am interested in Linda Crop doing whatever it is she's doing. Respectfully, I don't know who Louise Lucas is, and she doesn't know who I am, and, and I'm sure we'll all be fine. Again, nobody get offended, nobody get mad. This is a, to your point, opposition party, regardless of who's in power, is on a tour that's bigger than just Virginia. He's giving speeches that are national. He's talking about the grandiose things, and they've got now their chance to get their own Q rating up, to take shots and say, well, it's good, bad, or indifferent. I have no idea. If, if it's really altruistic and it's really about the taxpayers of Virginia and we want to make sure we're doing right by them, yada, yada, yada. Or if it's, just as you're saying, a political game where everybody's now getting a chance to shine and this whole thing's going to get worked out. I'm very cynical and skeptical when it comes to it. So to me, there is too much at stake because Virginia doesn't have a pro team, too much at stake in terms of new developments. Everybody loves to take credit for a new project, a new ribbon cut. Everyone wants the, the back padding, even if the guy at the very top is on the opposite team. Everybody ultimately wants this. They love, uh, politicians love these sorts of projects. So I think it's happening. But again, this could be that time where the politician involved really is 100% truly concerned about the citizens and you know not fording their own uh, uh, interest and in, in career. So 
and again, we're 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 doing the best we can here with limited information, just kind of going on all that we've seen. And now all of a sudden, what we thought was a done deal, the mayor closing in from one side in DC talking about, you know, enforcing the lease. All of a sudden the, the rug getting pulled a bit in, in Virginia in terms of the legislature. It's not getting voted on. So it's not as simple and smooth as maybe we would have thought recently. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of the news yesterday. I know that when I originally heard that the same politician who originally hated the idea was saying the bill is dead as far as I'm concerned, didn't really move the needle for me. When Eric Flack, who's covering this, Mm -hmm. is saying the bill is dead for the moment and they're going to have to rework it, now that's more significant because it means there's more than just that one person, right? I go back to the point I made to him, though. And I will admit I don't know anything about anything in this regard. But I don't think Ted Leonsis and Monumental would have started this ball rolling downhill if they weren't going to get it across the finish line. And I know that things happen occasionally that are unforeseen. But you've got to account for as many things as you possibly can. And this is really early in the process. Like, this is not a, you couldn't get the support in the last Mm -hmm. hour. This is just... Good distinction. You're this right. is the yeah. first step. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. This is literally the, in Virginia, the Senate has to say they'll vote on this. They can't even get it on the, the program. So to me, as Eric said, this is not something they accounted for. Like, I think that eventually this thing happens because there's too much to be lost in terms of court of public opinion, optics for Leonsis, for Monumental. I think they thought about everything. Like Flack said, if you listen to him about Muriel Bowser mm-hmm. and the possible lawsuit. Uh-huh. They're kind of dangling this idea of we got lawyers. Oh, we, we got a strategy. To. You don't think that Leonsis knew that was coming? Like, they're going to be ready. They're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have done this if they knew they would lose in court. I think the same thing about the politics of it. Yep. And that's just, again, I'm completely ignorant on all of this, but I have a hard time believing they would have started this whole process and the pushback and him taking a massive hit from fans in D.C. and in Maryland just from a sheer popularity standpoint, to then be rebuffed by Virginia, the only real collection of fans that are excited about this. I mean, if you go back to D.C. with your tail between your legs, it's I just don't see it. It's a, it's a terrible look, and I don't think you would have ever started if you weren't going to finish. Let's go to Kevin, who's in Centerville on G&D. What's up, Kevin? Hey, Granddaddy. How you doing? Good, man. Uh, yeah, I, I grant to your point. Uh, do you really think that like a billionaire owner doesn't think that like he can just push things through with another governor who can just like try to try? It says it's a done deal. I think they, there's enough hubris involved uh, in all of this where they don't even know what the traffic situation is going to be. They don't. They don't. Have, the metro that they want to get out on is not going to be able to handle it. They, there's none of these things, these contingencies that they have really thought through, and they they put they put it on as a smash-and-grab job. They think they can get through with the excitement um, with the Alexandria City Council and the mayor being full supportive behind it. They thought, well, if we got them, we can probably sweep this through, and it, everybody will, will be good because of the specter of Dan Snyder leaving. Ted Leonsis looks good. I'm a savior. I'm coming in. And – they they thought this would be a, a a wonderful thing when there's actual some some resistance to it you know and it doesn't help that the current governor decided to go on a rant um with the people that he needs to help getting getting things through yeah i i don't think they calculated that at all i think they hmm. really thought that you they think could they just, just kind of blindly assumed it would work out 
Yeah, hell yeah, they did. Because th- there's there's a lot of things coming from them right now. They didn't expect the backlash. Ted Leonsis is going out there I think right that's the now best talking point. That, that Ted Leonsis is going out there right now saying, hey, wait a second, wait a second, you know, you know, this is going to be great. They're having to do some PR spin and damage control on the, the uh, people from Alexandria City, the, the Delray community that, is, that are trying to bring up, hey, this won't be so good for the environment. This won't be so good for the traffic. Has anybody considered this? And but, they're but having my to point do damage is, Kevin, control and spin now. And I appreciate the call. Thanks, Kevin. I think they did consider all that. They're, they're not shocked that people are pushing back against this. No chance. That was not the priority. That wasn't necessarily what Ted cared about. Ted cares about the real estate in Virginia, having a better arena, the better business move for him, in my opinion. But zero chance they did all this thinking a bunch of people in D.C. and Maryland would just show up and wave them off and go, so happy. See you guys when you get to Potomac Yard, whatever the hell it's, National Landing now. What are we doing? Yeah, Potomac I don't Landing. The name I don't of know. It. But same thing with Del Rey. It took me two text messages to buddy that lived there to, to hear their complaints and thoughts and worries. Two years of smart people planning this, they wouldn't have come up with the same thing I did in four minutes and two text messages. I, ju- I just don't believe that. Maybe I'm naive. I don't know. I- I've never been a billionaire, and I've certainly <laughs> never been a governor, so maybe they just think differently. His point is, essentially, you have to assume that they just didn't consider the possibility that people wouldn't like this, and I, I, ref- that doesn't make sense to me. I do think they've been shocked at the level of backlash. I think they've been very surprised by that. I think when you have, you know, the we've seen this before with the billionaires when the emperor's not wearing any clothes and everybody's telling you how great the idea is all the time. I do think they anticipated legal strategies and lobbying efforts, and you know they had a website ready to roll out for, you know, and the Twitter account's already going, et cetera. But I do think they've been really surprised. I don't know that they always plan on having Ted, you know, out front doing some interviews, trying to get his side out there, or the editorial or whatever the the ten point plan letter that that he had to write. I think they've been taken aback at, at at how much vitriol there's been. I don't think a team leaves a place where they've been for decades to go to another municipality, and the owner is not going to have to be vocal and front facing mm-hmm. and write a. Here's why we're excited about this. At some point, it would be crazy to me if he wasn't doing those things. Not to mention. The mayor has gone on the attack as well and on the offensive. And a lot of what they're doing, I think, is combating the mayor, which they knew was coming. Mm-hmm. I was told she stormed into their offices a couple days before the big press conference, basically screaming over at Monumental and was really upset. I don't think they were stunned to find out she was ha- she was not thrilled that they were moving out of Washington, D.C. Grant and Danny on the fan, 800-636-1067. Do you think this is going to go down? What do you make? Of the bill, at least for the moment, looking like it's in some trouble. They've been working on this for two years. Two years, they're, they're now kind of acknowledging. This has been in the works for a long time. In my interview with, with Leon says, it, it's clear he was always intending to go to Northern Virginia. Like, staying in Capital One was never the plan, at least with the Caps and the Wizards. So this was always the plan. But I think they miscalculated the, 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 the pushback they were going to have from parts of the state they didn't think were going to stand up and fight. 
And, and that's what they're getting. But again, Monumental is continuing to say, and this is to your point, Grant, Monumental is continuing to say today, hey, we're all right. This is the process. We're going to get it through on the House side. We're going to negotiate. We're going to convince some people who say they can't be convinced. And, and there is no plan B. There's not even a plan A. There's only one plan. This is a plan. Everybody calm down. Eric Flack, who joined us earlier this hour on Grant and Danny, we're asking you guys if you think the Wizards and the Caps are going to end up moving to Virginia after some bad news for Ted Leonsis and Monumental on that front over the last 24 or so hours. Curious to see what Monumental says later today in a press conference that Flack told us they've called. It is time for our double play. What's going on in our lives? Nothing to do with sports. How was your Super Bowl bash as you watched the Chiefs go back-to-back? It was very nice, my friend. Uh, a, a core, nice group that got together. People, uh, you know, did we didn't have too many of the characters. The anno- most annoying person there was probably me, which is, uh, which is you know, I think a pretty good bar. If you don't supersede me in terms of annoyance, I think we're all doing pretty much okay. Uh, food was outstanding, great selection, and uh, kids stayed up till the end, and we, we, we got it done. My youngest was devastated that San Francisco won. He decided, oh, excuse me, that San Francisco did not win. He decided at some point that he liked San Francisco. Now, if you're going to ask him, name a player or what state is San Francisco Were they in? Locked in on the game, actually watching? No, not even a little. Uh, but he was very upset that San Francisco lost. Okay. Maybe just tired, but there, there were there were some tears came right out of those eye sockets there. I was at home for the first time with no friends, no nothing coming over. It was me, oh, yeah. the wife, and the kids. So the kids were climbing all over me for the first half. They went to bed during Usher's halftime performance, and then me and the wife watched the second half in the basement together. Super quiet. Wanted to keep as much voice as I could for the show tomorrow. Yep. Back from Vegas, just Smart. lounging around. Yeah, you handled it well. Laid low. Uh, but I actually enjoyed the game more because of that, I will say. You know, there's, Super Bowl parties have their place. They're great. Yep. It's a lot of fun. I look forward to next year getting back out and about. But you really don't get to enjoy the game as thoroughly. You don't get to hear the broadcast. You're like, wait, how did they get that first down? There's just a lot going on in the room. So actually, especially for the second half and overtime, I was pumped to have kind of had a quiet setup uh, for us. You knew about our, our draft, my, my two items. Yep. I went wings and meatballs. My wife did also add buffalo chicken dip to the uh, to the wow. menu. So those were the three things at our house yesterday. We kind of kept it pretty low-key for the most part. But, uh, man, the Super Bowl coming down to the wire, overtime, Mahomes with the football in his hands in the end. Hard to screw that up. Yeah, hard to mess it up. I still don't feel good, by the way. I, I didn't have any alcohols. Just from just – from Eating like a disgusting sow. Is your non-alcohol streak still going? Yeah. How long? Uh, so I had I had a couple of beers on my dude's trip in September, and that was my only alcohol okay, of 2023. Years at no. this point. So I mean, I had I had a couple beers, and I was like, I can't handle this. I can't do it. So I did. I had, I had a couple beers on that trip. Or do you just feel bad? Yes. Like, your body, yep. not like I just can't handle. I don't it. like that I'm doing this. Your body actually tells you I don't like this. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like guilt. I'm not like a teetotaler. You know, when 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 I tell people like, yeah, I don't really drink, they automatically assume like, uh oh, there's there's rage and Ruye over there with a huge problem has to like cut it back. And Comedian I'm like, who stopped drinking. Yeah, I'm like, no, actually, my stomach gets a little churdy if I have any adult beverages. Like it's I'm so pathetic and sad. But that's what it is. I just can't handle it. What'd you eat? So 
there were wings. There was chili. There were uh, excellent slew of desserts, which I'll get to in a moment. A uh, couple different kinds of dips. We had a seven-layer dip situation going. We had a buffalo chicken dip going. There you go. The best thing, I'm going to tell you this again. The best thing, my guy Will made this. Will, it was a pepperoni pizza dip. You're like, what? What are you talking about? I've had that before. This was the nectar of the gods, my friend. Garlic knots or Parmesan-covered Triscuits were your vehicle. It's like eating a pepperoni, really a meat lover's pizza. Very well seasoned and spiced. Just no bread, but the bread you supply via dippage. It was a tin, Miss Davis. A tin. You know who was famous for their pepperoni dip was um, Mike Isabella, the chef back oh, in the yeah, day. Yeah, that yeah, you yeah, and yeah. I like, yeah, yeah. They had a very popular like a pepperoni dip that you could get at his restaurant. Oh, it was just only amazing. time I've had it. This thing was so good. That was a huge highlight. Uh, for dessert, chocolate chip cookies, really, really good. The best thing were these cannoli. Chips, so they're not actual chips, right? But it's like the shell of the cannoli, and then the cannoli filling that you could put as much or or little on each one as you wanted, do separately. That was just outstanding. Wegmans smashed that out of the park. It was fascinating. My kids didn't care much about the Super Bowl for the most part, but right when it was time for bedtime, they got really interested, and they wanted to sit with me and watch it. Hmm. But the rest of the night, it wasn't particularly of note. It wasn't compelling. It was just in the background. But then right when I said it's time for bed, they wanted to get up next to me, and that's when they wanted to lock in. They're really into the Super Bowl. Really, really. Who's winning, Dad, the match? State. I want to talk about Patrick Mahomes' greatness and where he's at right now among some of the guys we've seen at that position at 5 o'clock today. The Beltway Blitz comes your way next on G&D. Welcome back, Grant and Danny on the fan, taking you up to 6.30 tonight. Thanks much for making the show part of your day. I told you guys that me and Danny were going to give away Nate Bargatze tickets at 4 o'clock ahead of the Beltway Blitz. You did say that. So right now, let's make good on that promise. Caller number 10, 800-636-1067. Congrats. You're winning a pair of tickets. You'll see Nate Bargatze. It's the Be Funny Tour, Thursday, February 22nd, coming up at Capital One Arena. Tickets on sale now for tickets and more event information. Go to thefandc.com slash events, courtesy of Monumental Sports. Bargazzi is on a rocket ship right now. A, he is great. I'm going to say that again. He is great. B, couldn't be a nicer guy. Um, I, I, I tweeted this out moments ago at uh, Funny Danny, Grant's at Grant Edge Paulson. We did a couple of shows together when I was in New York. We did one at a winery upstate where my buddy Nick Cobb put it together, took like three or four comics. He was uh, Nate was the headline of that show. And I Can went I somewhere in the year? middle. I'm going to call it 2010. Okay. Maybe somewhere in that ballpark, 2010, 2011, somewhere there. And everybody on the show 
just ate a bowl of bleep. I mean, it was awful. I bombed horrendously. Not even a chuckle, not even a polite smile from these winery guests. Nick ate it. Uh, a couple other guys that are that I know are good or funny just ate it. We're all kind of like, yeah, this is a tough one, whatever. We're getting paid, though, blah, blah, blah. And then we hear, we're all in the green room, and then we hear guffaws. We hear belly laughs. And they don't stop. It's not one time. It's 45 minutes of Nate absolutely destroying with just his simple little clean, no cursing delivery. I'm up here doing my big song and dance, sweating, uh, you know, like I've just run a marathon. And he's just ripping joke after joke after joke. And on the way home, we talked about two things. Vanderbilt sports, which he was obsessed with, and then how he was going to be amazingly huge and famous. And he's doing Capital One Arena. And he will sell that SOB out. He's a star. Good for him. I like watching him. Uh, he's great. All Star. the specials. So funny. As you said, understated. Really, really funny. Good joke writer. So enjoy those tickets. We're giving them away all week right here at 4 o'clock on the fan. Let's kick off the Beltway Blitz. The Caps finished second yesterday, but they played a really good game. And in fact, yeah. the last two days this weekend, matinee games, the Capitals played really, really good hockey. Alex Ovechkin has scored in all four games. Since the break, five in a row overall. To break it down, we got our buddy uh, who covers the Caps for washcaps.com, Mike Vogel, with us on the Beltway Blitz. So, Vogels, before we get to Ovi, let's just talk about the Capitals. I liked what I saw these last two days, a way better brand of hockey, shutting out the Bruins, and then taking the Canucks to overtime. I agree, Grant. I think you, you probably have to go back to, I would say, before the holiday break to find – Two better 60-minute performances stacked back-to-back. And um, I think most people would agree that the Boston game was probably their best overall performance of the, of the whole season start to finish. And to be able to do it, you know, um, like you said, in the afternoon, they're not, always, they're not always at their best at that time of day. <clears throat> also against the two top teams in the NHL. And then just schedule-wise, you look at, uh, you know, it's, it's on paper. Uh, you look at a calendar; it's three games in four days. But when you you move that third one into the afternoon, you're looking at three games in less than 72 hours in three different cities. And look, it was the same for both teams yesterday. Vancouver had the same exact uh, situation. So I thought the quality of the hockey game yesterday was was pretty good. Very compelling. Very competitive. And, and fun to watch from that standpoint. Just a uh, tough, tough way for it to, uh, to end for the Caps. But, uh, you know, if they're able to stack up those games consistently, they're, they're, up, they're up against it, obviously, with uh, where they're at in the standings and how much time's left in the season. But if they're able to stack up games like that, they'll at least give themselves a, a fighting chance. Folks, what's been different about Ovi? All, all of a sudden, the goals are happening. It's it, it's kind of a breath of fresh air. It's a sigh of relief for a lot of us that you know we're starting to do some uh, you know back of the napkin math here. But it's been good. He's he's got goals yeah. now. What is it? Five straight. Five straight. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's, uh, I think I I think it was March of 2021, the last time he scored goals in five straight games. So that's uh, that's a real encouraging sign. And you know, yesterday's goal. Just a, just a fortunate bounce, and those have been really few and far between for him this year. You, you think of the number of goals he's had taken off the board. I think there's been four of them for, um, you know, video challenges where 
somebody was a, a hair offside and the, and the goal came off the board. And I think there was one for goaltender interference too. So he's, he's had a tough run a lot there in the first half. He, he does have a little bit of a tradition of heating up late. Uh, and he, he does look for, for me, his hands look a little bit quicker than they did earlier in the season. He's, he's definitely more engaged on the ice and, and you see on the power play, there's a little more movement. He's, he did drill one from the, uh, from the office. At one point on the power play, one of those five goals, I forget which game it was, but he's finding different ways uh, to get pucks in the net. And, you know, hopefully it can, it continues because th- they need scoring from anyone and everyone uh, at this point. That's been true all season. So, and like you said, you, you, you do the back of the envelope math, he's 60 away now. So now he's down to couple of 30-goal seasons if he doesn't score another goal this season. But if he can score, say, 10 more, he shaves that down to 25. And, and that seems doable because he, he would be right around 25 uh, for this year as well. Yeah, so 13 is what we're sitting at now, to your point. I mean, how many do you think he needs to score this season for you to be pretty confident he's going to do it, or are you already there? Um. No, I think I think I'd like to see him get get above twenty, um, and and I, you know I think what we don't know is who he's going to be playing with these the next two seasons. I'd like to see I'd like to see a a, a little a, a center with a little bit more of a playmaking mentality and um, prowess in the middle, and you know that's the thing that he's been missing all year. You know, Backstrom. Uh, Stepped away after eight games, and Kuznetsov has not been Kuznetsov this year or most of last season. So, uh, you know, Dylan Strom's a good center and a a guy that you can't imagine where they'd be without him right now, given what else has gone down with their their center depth. But he's, you know, he's more of a shooter than a a playmaker, um, though he has set up a number of of Ovechkin's goals this season and and with some, uh, some nice plays as well. Folks, give me an unsung hero uh, thus far on the season. Uh, unsung hero, I, I really like the way that Marty Ferrabari has developed uh, and continued to just, you know, eat up minutes and be really physical, really hard to play against. You could see him getting under people's skin. Uh, I'd like to see him maybe assert himself a little more uh, with his skating and his offensive ability. I think there's there's a little bit of untapped. Um, offensive ability there that that they could uh, that they could get to, and I, I think you got to include Charlie Lindgren too because um, a, a number of games he's he's been able to battle through and, and get points for them, and uh, it was good to see him do exactly that on uh, Saturday in Boston. I thought that you know you look at it at the end of the day, it's only 18 saves, but man, that's a tough game against that team. They had four power plays. They're, they're always around the net. Kudos to the guys in front because they played as well as uh, they played defensively all season. But, you know, Charlie's really, really stood in there and, and helped them scrape out a lot of points that they might not have uh, otherwise picked up. Vokes, thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. Thanks, fellas. Always good talking to you. We'll Take see care. you at the arena soon. There's Mike Vogel of the Caps. Let's talk some football. 25-22, it took overtime last night, Danny, but behind. 333 yards and a couple touchdowns from Patrick Mahomes, who threw just two interceptions in his playoff run all-purpose this year, going on the road at Baltimore, at Buffalo, and, of course, last night 
out in Vegas against the 49ers. They had the home game and negative 20 wind chill against the Dolphins to get it started. It was the Mahomes-Kelsey-Reed show once again. That's the headline, and it should be. We, we shouldn't diminish for any single second what that triumvirate has done. When Travis Kelsey is out of it with one receiving yard on one catch at halftime, you just knew that an explosion was happening, and sure enough, it did uh, late in that game. You knew Andy Reid, despite you know taking a bad timeout on a third and one that they subsequently didn't get in their own end, that you know there was going to be moments for recovery. That brilliant play call was coming. Sure enough, it was there. Same with Mahomes. I also can't get over, though, how unbelievably good this Chiefs defense was, most specifically their secondary. Trent McDuffie, Legereus Sneed, and a couple other guys, it felt like only a handful of pass breakups according to the stats, but it was more than that, right? They're blanketing receivers. There was pretty much nothing available on the sidelines the entire day. A couple of those uh, in-breaking routes that are such a specialty, those Kyle Shanahan uh, schemes and designs were, were available uh, a couple different moments. I think IU cut a nice route for a, a big chunk to start a drive. But for the most part, you're not going to see better pass coverage than you saw last night from that group. And I think that really ultimately is why they won the game. No big plays really given up. Everything kind of kept in front of them. They tackled really well, and they were pains in the butt. We didn't talk much earlier about Travis Kelsey. You mentioned one catch for one yard in the first half. He came up. And he got in Andy Reid's face, screaming at him, bumped him, just about knocked Reid over because mm-hmm. he was off balance, you know, not weirdly, he wasn't expecting one of his players. You don't expect the 255 pound guy to, <laughs> to, to come to, up to and shove, shove him, basically. Yeah. Uh, if that was Stefan Diggs, that would have been the biggest story of the game. It was weird to me how Romo and Nance just kind of brushed right past it, like, oh, look at Travis Kelsey. There he is. Basically shoving his coach. Uh, and he didn't push him as much as he bumped into him. But as the game went on, it became less relevant. If they would have lost, my guess is, Danny, it would have been a much bigger story. Mm-hmm. When you win the Super Bowl and everyone's just hanging out at the club, high-fiving and, and giving hugs all night, it's less of a deal. Also, to Reed's credit, he really put any narrative to bed right after the game by saying, you know, we, me and Patrick and Travis have a special relationship and we hold each other accountable. He wants to be on the field. But uh, that was a weird look for Kelsey. Not good. What was his upset? Was it that he was taken off for a, on a sub package or something, or, or he wasn't targeted? According to Romo, he was angry that he wasn't on the field for that play, mm-hmm. and the play didn't work because of, according to Kelsey, maybe, blocking at the tight end position. I think he was upset because he'd been targeted once for one catch and one yard. That's what I think. Yeah, makes sense to me. But, yeah, that was it was very strange how glossed over that was. It was like, we got a narrative that, that Taylor's boyfriend is out there and we're not going to do anything to, to besmirch that. It's kind of how it felt. Yeah, they just showed it, said this happened, uh-huh. and then it was over and we never went back to that. And it wasn't like he caught a pass right after that. I mean, there were a couple more drives where he still was not a factor and they really weren't talking about even that angle. In the end, second half, he went eight for 92 In the game, eight for 92. That's like an elite game for a tight end in general. He did it in a half, which rivaled the first half that he had in the AFC championship game. And even in the the game against Buffalo, I think he was like 10 for 100 at halftime. Uh, How about the the McCole Hartman story? Now, you and I have joked about how Andy Reid cannot quit him. Whatever happens, he just has to have McCole Hartman involved. He left and went to the Jets, came back to the Chiefs, has done very little has been probably a net minus, certainly in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up catching the game-winning touchdown pass in overtime, a three-yard touchdown. Same play as last year they won to Kadarius Tony. Uh-huh. They call it corndog. 
Reed said this was corn dog again with a little ketchup and mustard, just some variations. But Nicole Hardman, three for 57, also had the big 52-yard catch. That's right. On what was an amazing throw from Mahomes. So that throw was great. I, I still do not quite understand. I think it was Deshaun Gibson, the, the safety. I don't know what he was doing. I, I, I wonder if maybe he thought, yeah, there's no way. And he just stopped running. If he keeps going backwards, he had a great chance to intercept that well, ball. He didn't track the ball, obviously. Yeah, right? well, clearly. I, mean, but I don't think he knew it was in the air. I don't think he knew it was approaching. I think he was just downfield, like, okay, the ball's not coming here. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not for a stroll here. I'm doing cardio, Terry McLaurin style. And then the ball, of course, drops in the bucket. It didn't look like much when Mahomes was throwing it, drifting kind of left, wobbling a little bit. But of course, it was right there in that spot. But Miko Hartman catching that game winning touchdown. It'd be like if Jay Gruden coached the team that got to a Super Bowl. And, like, the final play was for Ryan Grant. And he didn't commit, like, an illegal procedure penalty and, like, lined up appropriately and then scored a touchdown. Like, that's the equivalent. Christian McCaffrey, really quickly. Mm -hmm. We have not mentioned his name yet. What an outstanding player he is. There's a lot of guys I feel bad for with San Francisco not getting their ring. Do you realize McCaffrey touched the ball 30 times for 160 yards? Mm -hmm. 30 for 160 for McCaffrey. What a workhorse yeoman's lunch pail effort. Nothing to show for. Yeah, it, he does everything well. Except for some bruises and some, you know, scabs today, but that was an awesome outing. The things I mean, he does so many things well, kind of as you said, but some of those runs where there's not that much and then it goes for five. Where you just go, like, this is a complete running back. This is not just the pass-catching toy or the guy that goes around the edge. You know, setting up blockers, setting up defenders, that little hesitation step, driving forward. What a great player. Let's talk some football locally. Our buddy Chick Hernandez from WUSA TV9 to do that with us. Uh, Chick, I guess let's just start with, when you watch the Super Bowl with those teams last night, man, does it feel like the commanders are light years away from where those clubs are, doesn't it? You know, I, I would say yes, but then I watched Houston battle for a playoff spot. So I'm going to say that certainly things can be done to put yourself in, in at least in the conversation in a, in a quick manner, one, two years, can be done. Will it be done? That's eh, a whole different ballgame. But we're also dealing with a whole different ballgame with this new ownership group and a new coach. What, speaking of the coach, Chick, what, what do you make of the staff that's being assembled uh, as we speak? Well, I mean, he's got a plan, right? Um, that's that's chief number one, which I think is how he went into the talks well, with the the ownership group uh, was to have a plan. And you know, initially we all went, okay, Dan Quinn, and you know, uh, certainly Burgundy and Gold fans are like, oh no, it's a cowboy, it's a cowboy. Well, it's not really a cowboy, it's Dan Quinn, and he has been there, done that. Um, and certainly during the conversations uh, uh, with the guys who were going to hire him, he kind of changed the way they thought, and that's refreshing. Um, does it equate to wins? Don't know, but uh, I'm kind of jacked up to see what they're going to do. I was interested uh, to see what happened with Ryan Kerrigan because he jumped yeah. right into coaching, and then Rivera gets fired, and you'd hate for that to cost him his chance to be you know, a longtime member of the organization who sure. rises, but they're keeping him. I uh, was reported today, assistant linebackers coach, pass rush specialist. So they have found a, a role for him on the staff. What do you make of that? I think that harkens back to uh, two things. Dan Quinn is a face-to-face guy, met with Ryan and had a conversation, which is how Dan Quinn works. Most coaches do. Um, and I think he came away from that conversation feeling pretty good about what Ryan could bring. And the other part of it is I think that, 
interview was extended to him because the ownership group, they are local guys. They, they saw what Ryan meant to the team. So um, they kind of said, okay, well, let's, let's see what he has to say, what he has to offer. And I, and I think, look, Ryan's a very smart dude, obviously. Uh, I'm more ticked the fact that I weigh more than Ryan Kerrigan now. That kind of pisses me off. Uh, listen, when, it drives me crazy, Chick, when these guys that were huge, enormous, like whether they're linemen or otherwise, they slim down so quickly and easily. And I'm like counting every carb and every gram, gram of sugar. No, and like, no. oh, it's, it's insane. No, he, he walked into the bubble uh, this year and I said, hey, Mino, how much you weigh? And he told me the number. And I said, you have got to be kidding mm-hmm. me that I weigh more than you. Now, there's two ways to look at it. Ryan's really slimmed down or I'm a fat tub of goo. You're not a fat tub of goo. Some of us are. I'm not going to slap that on you yet. But that guy does look great. You said yet. You said yet. That's that's hurtful. Well, in the middle of a compliment, which makes it a mid compliment. Yeah, I mean, but we're all driving that road to fat tub of goo town. I mean, eventually we could get there. Some of us got there faster than others. Hey, Chick, um, they also made an O-line coach hiring in Bobby Johnson. Now, this is important to me because I think that's going to be a huge part of Cliff Kingsbury's staff. I'm not yeah. that impressed with the fact that the Giants line the last couple of years it wasn't very good. That's where Bobby Johnson was. Probably shouldn't hold that him against him, but what do you make of that? Yeah, it's hard to to. I mean, look, you're you're in the business of looking at what somebody's done, what their resume is, um, and and you also have the social media aspect. Giants fans are like, "Thank you, thank you, take him, take him." So you're like, "Oh, what do we what are we dealing with here?" But again, we go back to we don't know what the conversations are like and what the personality had and what he was trying to get done. And maybe, you know, Dan Quinn has had a, a longer relationship than we know uh, with him. And so he looks at him and says, all right, you know, this is a guy that I can I can go in the trenches with. And, you know, that's what it boils down to. It's a comfort level. Um, and we don't have that knowledge base. We have what we've seen them do with the talent they've had. Chick, thank you as always, buddy. Have a great week. All right, boys. Take it easy. See you, ma'am. Good catching up. There's Chick Hernandez. That is your Beltway Blitz on Grant and Danny. Let's get into the fact that Ryan Kerrigan is staying, that an O-line coach has been hired as we continue on the fan. Also, we got to talk Patrick Mahomes. And the fact that nobody's done through six years what he's been able to pull off now statistically. And there's a conversation that we're closing in on having to have at some point real soon about his greatness. You're listening to the fan. Taking you up to 6.30, we're Grant and Danny. This is the fan at 5 o'clock in 30 minutes. I want to talk Patrick Mahomes. You guys aren't ready for the conversation I want to have. Ryan's not ready. Garris is close to ready. Danny's not ready. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Danny's, Danny's close to ready. I don't know, man. We might have the best to ever do it in our mix, ladies and gentlemen. We will discuss that coming up at 5 o'clock right here on The Fan in 30 minutes. Uh, We just asked Chick Hernandez about this. Ryan Kerrigan staying with the Commanders. There was some consideration, I'm sure, to what they were going to do with him. And after joining Ron Rivera's staff, Rivera gets blown out. Is his time here short-lived? Good to see them keeping him around. I'll be curious to see how he grows now on the staff. Because as we've talked about, Mm -hmm. you want to groom and develop coaches too. Like, what's to say Ryan Kerrigan can't be a really good defensive coordinator six, seven years from now? I've talked about Logan Paulson on the offensive staff. Now, 
that was more so when I thought they were going a Shanahan route, mm-hmm. which is what I was kind of hoping with uh, whether it was, you know, one of the guys in San Francisco currently, Cliff um, Kubiak or, or Clint Kubiak, rather, mm-hmm. or, or somebody else. But um, even still, like, you, you want to layer your coaches. You don't want just a bunch of veteran, long-time old dogs that can't learn new tricks. Yeah, especially, again, if you have this structure that they do have, which is a defensive head coach, which means the offensive coordinator is a play-calling offensive coordinator, not a you know a glorified game planner who's invisible on, on game days. He is out front calling the plays. If you have success, it's a good problem to have, but it means he's likely getting a head coaching job. You need to be able to constantly replenish, and that is that is hard to do. Just, again, the, my case in point on this is the Tennessee Titans. Is it semantics that they're making him the assistant linebackers coach when he was coaching the defensive ends? They were running a 4-3 before. Mm-hmm. The defensive ends were the pass rushers. Now it's reported he's going to coach linebackers. That would make me think 34. You know, running a 3-4 defense. We have not heard that they're transitioning. Am I overthinking this and digging too deep into the semantics of what they're calling his role? Assistant linebackers coach slash pass rush specialist. That actually gives some credence to what you're talking about, in my opinion. I mean, if he's a linebackers coach, is he helping Jamin Davis play a position he never played right, before? He's like, hey, Khalid Cuts and David Mayo, here's what you do as uh, you know, Mikes and Wills and stuff. I don't think so. Yeah, as a defensive ends coach, so to speak, mm-hmm. the assistant to Scanino. He was really the assistant D-line coach, I guess was mm-hmm. the title. But my understanding of his role was he was working with Smith-Williams, Bradley King, Tuhill, all those guys you're referencing as well as the starters before they got traded, you know, Sweat, Young, what have you, on pass rushing. He's getting with Chase Young and trying to help him with the lack of moves that he's got. He's in Montez Sweat's ear and going, what if you did this to finish this play? How about if you did this when you're getting held, it's going to increase your chance of getting uh, the call. That was the defensive end coach because it was hand in the dirt 4-3. I don't know that we've heard definitively what their plan is schematically on defense, but now they're saying linebackers. I don't think it's just that that's what Tom Pellicero of NFL Network said when he reported it. Mm-hmm. My guess is that's a pretty important word. Like, what is his title? Well, he was the defensive line coach. Now it's linebackers. That's interesting to me. It is. It, to me, this says he's going to work with the edge guys, whoever that happens to be, right? Like, if you if you will have your hand in the dirt or you're standing up, if your goal on a play is to go up the field and get the quarterback – Talk to Coach Kerrigan. That's what it smells like to me, you know, which, again, is significant because it means, you know, you're not going to be limited by you are a 4-3 defensive end. Your hand is in the dirt. Line up outside the tackle. Attempt to get upfield, and that's that. Tells me there's more imagination. And if you look at Dan Quinn's track record, especially in Dallas, moving guys all over the place and everybody does a little bit of everything, that would stand to reason. Yeah. I just wonder, look, the Cowboys throughout Dan Quinn's time, and maybe the 3-4 versus the 4-3 stuff, doesn't really matter that much because you're just not in base that often and everyone's multiple now with their fronts. But if you're looking at the Cowboys' defense, I mean, there's been plenty of 3-4 for them. You know, think about a guy like Micah Parsons standing up coming off the edge. I'll be really curious to see if they make the transition. And my thought is, Danny, if you're considering it, if you have an interest, if you're Dan Quinn and Joe Witt Jr., in a 34, it's actually a perfect time to kind of rip the Band-Aid off Mm -hmm. because it doesn't really affect the secondary that much where they've got a lot of their young players. It changes the roles, to be clear, 
of your defensive tackles, but I think Allen and Payne would be excellent in either capacity. You know, the, the problem with a, a traditional 3-4, in theory, with those two guys is that now one gets kicked to an end, so to speak. But I think as a five-tech, which is what they call that end, which is you know not over top of the nose, you know, John Allen, Deron Payne, whoever yep. it is, they could push the pocket. They could get to the quarterback. When Washington ran a 3-4, when I covered the team, guys like Stephen Bowen and Adam Carricker, if you remember, you know, they're traditional D tackles. They played DN, five-tech. Really, it's just a, a tackle who can get up the field. Those guys had six, six-and-a-half sack seasons. And you had a true nose tackle in Barry Cofield. So maybe you'd have to go find a true nose tackle, and then those would be your two defensive ends. And then you'd have the edge rusher standing next to them coming off of the side of the line of scrimmage. But I'm just curious because they have such a big need at defensive end. Like, you're, you're starting from scratch there. So if you want three, four rushers, you could draft guys to stand up and rush. There's depth pieces with Smith-Williams and Hill and any of those guys you bring back. But they're starting defensive ends, both of them, in a 4-3, or I guess edge rushers in a 34. I don't think either of them are on the team right now. You know, they don't have a guy right. on this team right now that in week one next year is probably starting and rushing as your edge. I don't think that guy's here. I think one comes via the draft and one comes via free agency. I think we've Agreed. seen enough data over the years where this is not the, the signing that, that that blows you away, but the Genevion Clowney tier, you can find, you know, Unique Ngakwe, you can find, uh, you know, Son Reddick blew up in, in Philadelphia that had like 15, 16 sacks. But for the most part, if you'd pay a little bit of a premium, you can get a guy who will rush the passer and get you seven to nine sacks, depends on the situation. I think one comes from there, maybe one comes from the draft. But it's also interesting, you you shuffle up and deal what you have internally, right? And we haven't seen very much uh, Fedarian Mathis. Is he better suited as a, a, maybe a potential 34 nose? Same with, you know, Big John Ridgeway, for example. That's not a dynamic pass rushing uh, you know, a uh, guy that's going to knife through the defense. Could he be excellent in a hold your ground and keep things clean for the guys behind you role? I don't know. I That's for this group to decide. I just think they're in a really good spot personnel-wise if they wanted to make the transition. Like a lot of the time the problem is, and we saw this to an extent in 2010 with Washington, you don't have dudes that can play mm-hmm. the other way. And I think your tackles, traditionally, that's Allen and Payne, they can do both. I think your ends aren't even here, so you can draft or sign in that image, I think it's kind of a good time to make the transition if they wanted to do that. I'm not sure that they're going to major in it. And as I said, you know, you go back 14 years ago when Washington for those four seasons went to a 3-4. It actually was a bigger deal at the time. It was a major talking point. Now, teams are so multiple and versatile with the looks that they're doing. And just in general, defensive coordinators, you might have a five-man front. The next play, you're going to have three. You might have two and everybody's standing up. like that. Not necessarily this way with Washington in the last couple seasons with Del Rio, but you can get super creative. Guys like Mike McDonald have done that where you never really know what the front's going to look like, and it's extremely uh, versatile. And so spending a lot of time 3-4 versus 4-3, I guess, doesn't matter too much. But when I heard that, I th- just kind of an antenna went up. No, and it's I smart. Said, it's not like Dan Quinn wasn't doing that in Dallas, you know, where he had – edge rusher standing up in a 34. Yeah, all of a sudden, it's five down linemen. Next play, it's two. Next play, it's that, you know, that famous New England Patriots, what I call the town hall defense, where there's six or seven different guys kind of standing around. You don't know where everyone's going to end up. But it's a smart point, though, also, about when they switched under Shanahan back in 2010. Guys like Andre Carter, who had been pretty proficient pass rushers, were rendered relatively useless uh, in that scheme. Ryder Rackbutt was fine. But, I mean, it was like 
you know, Hingsworth, remember famously, didn't want to get along and do it, and it just was this ill-fitting thing where they go, now you're a 3-4. Required a lot more, just a lot more difference, I think, than they probably had in them, and it didn't go very well. We will get into Mahomes coming up in about 20 minutes. Chiefs, Super Bowl champion, second time in two years, three times in five years last night. But next, we have said on this show, and I'll speak for myself, the offensive line coach hiring was, to me, going to be the most important post-Kingsbury of this cycle. We found out today he was going to be coaching Washington's offensive line. Did they hit the homer that we wanted them to? We'll get into that next on The Fan. Welcome back to Grant and Danny on The Fan. Talk about the commander's O-line coaching hire in just a moment. Darius, if you wouldn't mind... I would like a little Ryan Explains It All music at your leisure, sir. Ryan, get ready. Now, the good news, Ryan, is there's no wrong answer here. All right. I'm asking just for your opinion on a famous quote. Okay. I want you to try to explain it to me. So I'm having some throat coat tea right now. Yes, yes. I brought some throat coat. I put it in hot water. We're going to see what it does for me. There's a quote for some reason on my tea bag. I don't really know why. Just a quote. Is it meant to inspire? I don't know. Maybe like a fortune cookie or something. But I thought Snapple bit. Yeah, kind of. Okay. What a what a pull, by the way. So correct. I haven't heard the word Snapple in twelve years. You know how exciting it was to open up that Snapple after smacking the bottom a couple times. It would make that sound. Then you twist it off and find out the little trivia that was under there. Oh, it was aces. Darius has great. You got great references, man. You got the sickest references. What movie is that from? I know that. What, the, who says that? I think it's Jonah Hill. It's like the last day on Earth movie or like End of Days? End Not of, End of No, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger's movie. Um The End. This is the end. This is the end, yeah. Uh my mom used to drink Snapples, peach Snapples. Oh, sure. By the case. Oh yeah. I hate Snapple. That will not surprise you. I hate it. I mean it's disgusting. <sighs> the, the, just the, the taste of it is repulsive. The taste, the the fruit juice, basically? Yeah. But okay, here's the line. Unbelievable. Give me the give me the um Music again for Ryan. So my fortune cookie slash teabag says, Uh beauty is not caused, it is. Emily Dickinson. Okay. Describe that, please. So I think beauty just comes in a natural state. I think think that is kind of the hard-hitting kind of uh, point of that quote, meaning beauty can come in many different ways, but I think the most beautiful thing out there just could just be what is natural. Maybe just what is your natural personality or you're taking a hike and just in nature, natural stuff, kind of like that. So I think it kind of just hits home into the simple things of life and what is beautiful hmm. in life. That's what I don't want to think that quote is getting at there. You feel good about uh, that? that beautiful. Uh, who is Emily Dickinson, by the way? That's a great question. Thanks. <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> That's a great question, Danny. Uh-huh. I have no idea. Yeah. No idea who Emily Dickinson is. Can we get a time frame? Uh, <laughs> maybe we'll, we'll go 19. Oh, can you reread that quote, actually? I want to see if there's any phrases. Does it in sound old timey yeah. to you? Yeah. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, beauty is not caused, it is. Mm. That's real interesting. Hmm. That's real um, interesting. I would probably say mm, 1920. That's okay. that's going to be my guess, 1920. Very close, yep. yep. And what's she famous for? Um, 
Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't okay. know. Well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm I, feel, I feel informed. I'm so stumped right now. <laughs> give, give us your best guess. What is Emily Dickinson famous? <laughs> um, is she a politician? Maybe. Yep. At, at one point, I, just when you think. I hate it when he does that. Yeah. That's my least favorite thing about Sandbag, this. Sandbag. When know? you're like, he has no idea. Like, women's suffrage, the whole deal, right? Yeah, because of all those women politicians back in 1920, she was the most famous. Sure. Ryan. Drives me crazy. Every time. I hate that. Just when you think he's out, he comes back for Mm -hmm. more. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan explains it all. Ryan explains. Uh, What did you make of the hiring today of the offensive line coach who has been coaching a pretty bad Giants offensive line the last couple years? Bobby Johnson has been around forever. This is from Giants Wire, USA Today's uh, Giants, you know, sort of covering blog. Uh, The commanders are hiring veteran offensive line coach Bobby Johnson to coach their O-line per source. The Giants fired Johnson on Black Monday after two seasons overseeing one of the worst offensive lines in football, including a 2023 campaign that saw them surrender 85 sacks, the second most in NFL history. They were so bad at protecting the quarterback this year. You remember that it was a Daniel Jones game. My son still just says Daniel Jones is bad walking around our house because he watched him get sacked so Mm -hmm. much. But there was like a 12-sack primetime game. Yeah, It was so embarrassing. And I remember thinking, this O-line coach is getting fired tomorrow. Like, this is, I don't care if you're just plucking guys out of the stands. It can't be this bad. But he didn't get fired tomorrow. He got fired at the end of the season. And now the commanders have hired him. Um, I have heard good things when I ask people about Bobby Johnson. It seems like he's popular. The bit is, here's his bit. You ready? Okay. Super high energy. Got some Dan Quinn to him. One of these guys who's like, let's turn that hat around. You know, let, let's let's bring our lunch pail and some energy. That's what I'm here to do. He's coached tight ends a little bit, mostly O-line. He was in Buffalo from 19 to 21 before he was with the Giants. And the Bills' lines at that time were certainly better than the Giants' lines have been. I'm not sure that it's, you know, that was like their calling card. You know, Josh Allen's going to take some hits, some shots, whatever, but if, if it makes you feel better, there's a there's a recent sample that was more successful than his time with the Giants. This one doesn't feel great, to be honest with you. But again, I, I couldn't tell you the nuance. Did he not coach up the left guard as good as he could have? Or was it a talent issue? Was it his fault? Bill I don't know. Callahan's getting through to Evan Neal. Yes. You know? I, I, we don't know. We don't know here. But this one doesn't feel tremendously inspired. This isn't one of those, they got that guy. It's a, he most recently was where, and they were how bad, and he got fired on Black Monday. Okay, doesn't feel as exciting as maybe the other hires. And and you and I both posited, and this could also, this thesis could be wrong. But we basically said, for King, Cliff Kingsbury's system, I know they lined up in shotgun a bunch, or they did at least in Arizona, and you, you saw them kind of what he's done in college. The guy that marries some of that stuff, the run game coordinator slash offensive line coach, that mind has his work cut out for him. Because a lot of people go, you don't, they run it more in, in Kingsbury's system than you think. Yeah, if you've got, you know, Kyler Murray running 125 times a year, you run it more. You may not have that. You may not have a Kyler Murray. It may not be Jaden Daniels. It may not be uh, somebody that w- that you want running fifteen or you know ten times a game, et cetera. So TBD on that one. But maybe they don't view the position as, as critically important. Maybe that that sort of philosophy gets married and implemented elsewhere. Who knows uh, here here at this stage? But th- it's hard to feel as inspired about this hire as it was say about Brian Johnson or 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 Izzo, the special teams coordinator coming from Seattle with a great track record. This one doesn't feel as exciting to me. I'm always trying to figure out 
what the relationship is that kind of gets you in the door. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean there's always one. It could just be as simple as this guy's got a long, beefy, good resume, has coached O-lines forever, and now he's available. We got to pounce on him. But I couldn't figure anything out right off the bat with him and Cliff Kingsbury. Like when you go through, it's not like he was at Houston or A&M or mm-hmm. Tech or with the Cardinals or anything like that. You go back, it was the Giants the last two seasons, the Bills for three before that, Colts, Raiders, Lions, Jaguars, assistant O-line coach breaking into the league with the Bills, some O-line, some tight end work, started at Akron in Ohio and then Miami of Ohio uh, before getting into the NFL. But I was kind of, look, Hank Fraley was going to come with Ben Johnson, supposedly. He's like the O-line coach now, the new wave. Everyone says he gets a lot out of a little. He wasn't coming, but I was hoping somebody like him, maybe. I am a little skeptical of this hire, and I'll just say it's not exciting, to your point. And that has been kind of the story, the theme, for the most part, of their hires, but doesn't mean it's not a good hire. And We don't know what he did well, what he did poorly in right. New York. Because some fans think he's bad because the O-line was bad, doesn't tell me a whole lot. If you remember, John Matsko was the O-line coach here. Everyone in the building thought he was the best coach in the organization, and it wasn't like they were putting on a clinic up until a couple years ago, week in and week out either. So some of that has to do with talent, injuries. Uh, but I thought they'd go a little younger and more up and coming in that role than they did. Let's talk Patrick Mahomes next. Are you guys ready to have a conversation about Mahomes? Maybe being the best quarterback of all time. This is the fan. Thank you, Toby. Welcome back. Grant and Danny on the fan. We'll talk Patrick Mahomes and his standing among some of the greats who have ever played quarterback in a moment. How'd you feel about the Usher halftime performance? Pretty meh, to be honest with you. Um, again, I like that they have someone that's like close to my age that that you know that I've listened to in my lifetime. That like I could name a couple of his songs. Instead of like some weird teeny bopper or somebody that usually watches Bravo. So that was fine, but I, I thought it was very pedestrian. First three minutes I thought were terrible. Roughly. I, I didn't time it. But him coming out, it was he was playing his hits, but I didn't think he started with like the bangers that I know, which is fine. But it was just kind of in tight, zoomed in on his face. Now he's doing some dance moves. It's R&B. It's pretty slow. So a couple of minutes in, if I was to have judged it, and a lot of people were already doing that, I would have said, oh, this is not very good. When Alicia Keys started performing, and I love Alicia Keys. I think she's one of the songbirds of our generation. One of the best voices, singers, anything she does on a piano, vocals off the charts. She's also gorgeous. I was steamed up when Alicia Keys showed up. It went from, I'm not liking this, to, okay, this is better. 
when he gets on the roller skates and it start kind of being wacky, I was in. But by the end, when you bring out Lil John, when you bring out Luda, who I did not expect to see coming out to drop bars, I felt great. So the last three to five minutes, maybe that's too much. The last two or three minutes with Lil John and, and Luda, whatever that was, I thought was phenomenal. That's A plus stuff. Overall, I'm giving it a B minus, C plus, maybe a tick above average. I thought it was pretty good. I thought he put on a good show as I'd anticipated, but people were going nuts. You know, and you never know like <clears throat> what the actual percentage of people is. It's just loud people on social media. Sure, yeah. But there was a lot of talk right after about how it was one of the great halftime shows. No. That was not how I felt about it. I thought it was really good in the end, and I thought the last couple minutes left me really happy and whelmed. Overall, a, a win for Usher, but let's relax a little bit if we're talking about it being epic or memorable. I, I don't think it was that. Well, there were several folks I think that we were all supposed to know intuitively who they were. Was that Will I Am? Apparently. Was it Jermaine Dupree? Who was in the helmet? I still don't know who that so was. So we don't know who was in the helmet. I, there was one bald guy wearing shorts that I thought was CeeLo at first, but it wasn't. I don't even remember that guy. Yeah, so he, he, he asked everyone to put their hand in the air. Right? As it, as an interlude. Maybe that was for a costume change. I don't know. But I'm like, are we supposed to know that guy? Then the girl playing guitar. But who was in the helmet? Do we know the answer to that? I don't know. Will I am? Apparently, that some Is people that say, it was? I, I, again, how, how authoritative am I speaking? Okay. So I don't know. Everyone during the show was saying that that was like Jermaine Dupri or something. But it was like a weird helmet. His face was covered. I had no idea who it was. So it was Will I Am in the helmet. It was Jermaine Dupree that was the guy wearing the shorts. The guy wearing that the shorts. I thought was CeeLo. Okay, I wouldn't know Jermaine Dupree if he was sitting on my lap. I would just say, "Sir, why are you sitting on my lap?" Now I know that he he was talented and had his run and whatever. But that didn't do much for me there. But yeah, the, the Will I Am thing I didn't really get either. Then, but the, so then there's another. The lady was playing guitar that came right up to the camera and like was like looking at me and like asking me how I was doing. And she, I'm like, am I supposed to know who that person is? Who is that, Darius? Do we know who that is? Who's the lady on the guitar? Uh, her name was her. My name is all set. Anyway, but, like, uh, but who was that? Her. No, but what's on second, who? and who's on first? But then third base. Who was on drums? Her name was her. Yeah. Cool. So now um, I know that. Um, but yeah. So no, to everybody, was thinks she it was great. Ice Spice or is that someone else? Is Ice Spice no, her? No. Or her is her? No. No, no. Ice Spice is is her, but her was her. Oh, that's yeah. I wish you wouldn't have done <laughs> oh, that. Oh man. Uh, but I'm glad you did for the benefit of the program. Like, how many people? Like, I know a handful of Usher songs. Obviously, yeah, which everybody knows. But Fire. Confessions. He played Confessions for like eight seconds. By the way, it was, like, there's a catalog there that I'm familiar with that he blew through. I'm not an Usher mark. Like, I, I I can't tell you which one should have been should have been played. But I know way more Usher than I felt like I did watching that, I'll say. Well, like, how many people at home are like, oh, nice, he's doing Burn. Or wait, he's, oh, this this is my favorite one. It's, uh I don't know, Loving This Club. I don't know if anybody, I mean, I'm sure Usher fans are, like, yelling, like, screaming at the radio right now. But for, like, your average idiot sitting at home, I'm familiar with, a, I'd say, a decent portion of his hits. Burn is fire. Is it? I mean, maybe. You don't have to call was good to get that early. But, yeah, I just, I thought Confessions Part 2 would have been like the, you know, the meat and potatoes, and it was basically one green bean. I could have done a little more of that. a little tiny side item. And then I think I would have kicked it off with, yeah, I know what he was going for. 
when he brought out Lil John, Luda, Will I Am, and, and the kind of the whole group. Mm-hmm. It was like the grand finale, like yep. seeing all the fireworks explode at once. All those guys were available, so that was that was good to do. You could have you done that right off the top. You didn't think that was cool? No, that that was the, that was the part I liked. Okay, yeah, but it, you're droning a little bit. Yeah, because they're all available because the songs from 21 years ago, like that, which oh, hurts I mean, a little bit. My heart. They but, have yeah. good careers too. Yes. Like Ludacris is just casually making 20 million a movie at this point. He's in two movies a year, probably. Most of them are Fast and the Furious movies. I was going to say, they do two Fast and Furious movies a year? <laughs> Which you don't know anything about. No, I'm good. Uh, but I, th- I feel like this has turned into a Joan Fest. I thought it was good. I, I did it not. Was solid. The pedestrian at best, C minus, and that's being kind. It doesn't approach, for example, 2022 with Eminem, Dre, Snoop, Kendrick Lamar, <laughs> Mary J. Blige. Like, that, like, if you're telling me that this last night was on that level, you're wrong. Like, I, I don't know how else to say that to you. No, 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 no. Like no to be, nobody's doing that. To be very kind to whoever this hypothetical person is that I'm arguing with, you're not correct about okay, that. Okay, but, but how about this? Mm-hmm. I think you can absolutely say that this was every bit as good as the Rihanna performance. Now, I liked the Rihanna performance last year more because I think she just got better, more popular hits and just being able to sing along and, like, her vocals are mm-hmm. next level off the charts. So I liked it more. But and to her credit, I'm pretty sure she was like pregnant at the time. But like he's on roller skates, he's doing things, he's moving around, he's bringing in a bunch of stars that you didn't know were coming. This halftime show, I would say, was every bit as good or better than last year's. Just over the last several years, I, personal preference, I'll take Rihanna. But I think you make a good point there. That's I think that's fine. I don't think it approaches Shakira, J Lo, Bad Bunny, that group from a handful of years ago. I thought they were awesome. Remember them? In in yeah. 2020? Bruno's going to be my one seed forever, but mm. yes, I do yeah. remember that. Bruno did do it. Tony is in Arlington. Tony, <laughs> you're on G&D. What's up? I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Tony, you're Mr. on the radio. Mr. Tony. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. This is the part where you talk to your pals. You called. Oh, sorry. You know how... Um, Bluetooth is, but I just wanted to say something. Um, you know, you talking about her. She's like a five-time Grammy Award-winning artist, very talented. You had the Jackson State University Sonic Boom of the South Band performing at halftime. You had members of Kappa Outside Fraternity. So you guys may not be familiar with some of these folks, but a lot of your listeners are. I so, would respectfully push back on that. I would bet you a lot of our listeners are not. I have no idea of those things that you just said. Like, I see your point. You were going, oh, I recognize that. That's really cool. I'm, we're just talking, thinking about like the average schlub I th- I think sitting the, at home. I think has the, no idea. The majority of our listeners have heard of her. I guarantee that. The the, the artist her? Yes. They've or they've heard of. I mean, if she's won five Grammys, which he might be making you, you said five Grammys, right? Yes, sir. Yes, then I would say most people have heard of her. I would I would bet all all of it. That that yeah. 99% of our audience has no idea now, who that person was. The marching bands and Doesn't stuff. Doesn't mean she's not good. She's better than me. I mean, that's not the that's not the debate. But, like, the, they did this thing last night, which which bothered me, that I don't know how to describe, where it's like, they, like, she's right there, and I'm supposed to be like, oh, they got this person. Like, I know who Ludacris is, and I know what Alicia Keys is, obviously, and I'm sure she's very talented. You don't make the Super Bowl halftime show by not being good at what you do. I've, I've never seen that person before in my life. Six and a half million followers on Instagram. I guess she's she got more than I do. She's, she's not just playing like shows at local high school. Right. She's not, she's not like backup backup band Billy. My point is like it was. I think there was supposed to be this pop that everyone's supposed to like. Oh my God! It's this person. I and I've never laid eyes on her on her well, before in my life. 
I'm what I'm saying is I think you and I are not her demo. I don't know who the de- I don't know anything about her music, mm-hmm. so I don't know who the demo is. But you and I are not her demo. We don't know her. We don't know anything about her. We mm-hmm. didn't recognize her. I think she has one that's pretty large. But now we're getting into the specifics of her, which I guess if someone's trying to suggest it's the same as like I went and saw U2 the other day. I'm not a big U2 guy, but everyone knows who Bono is, right? If Bono showed up, I think 80-some percent of the people watching the Super Bowl would go, oh, my God, it's Bono. I don't think it's on that level. But I also don't think it's like some, you know, like. I, some I, complete unknown? Exactly. I don't know. This is a famous musician. So I guess for me, it's like if you're going to do this, it should be passing the mom test. We're like every mom's like, oh, look, that's Lady Gaga. I, I, don't, that, I don't need an introduction. I think that's hard to do at this point. Our moms are getting older, bro. Well, yeah. I'll bet you I'll bet you 40-year-old moms know who her is. I, I got to start doing some polling. I got plenty of 40-year-old moms in my neighborhood. I'm going to start asking to drop off tomorrow. Because my default is, like, you are the worst at knowing pop culture stuff. Yeah. In general. So I'm just defaulting to the guy that called in that said she's won five Grammys. That's a lot, man. That's many that's, Grammys. That's like a third of what Beyonce has. That's a S ton of Grammys. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Darius, what is your familiarity with her? I honestly didn't know that's who that was until my Madden League chat was discussing it. And somebody was like, oh, let's her. Oh. I was like, oh, didn't know that. So that's on me. You know, again, I, I, don't I know. just don't happen to know who she is. I don't but know. But I know there's plenty of people that do. This kind of a shot against what I'm saying. If Darius, who's my age, didn't know her. The people that I know that follow her on Instagram. Let's see. Want to see? Yeah. Want to see this? Let's see. Out them. All right. Here we go. Tony Wiley, former Commander's Public Relations. Yes. Ludacris. You don't know Luda personally, though. No, but I follow you him. And follow he him her. and follow her. You got to cross over there. Chris Miller, voice of the Wizards. Okay. Wes Hall, pregame Wizards. Yeah. D'Angelo Hall, former Commander. Uh-huh. John Wall. Uh, DJ Chris Stiles knows who she is. We got that going there for us. There we go. London Fletcher. Andrea Carter, who calls women's basketball games on ESPN. Uh, those are the people that I follow that follow her. Okay. I just think it seems like we're not the, her, like, bread and butter. Who's? Her. Her? Just you and I buying yeah. her albums. It's it's probably not happening. Let's go to Ben in Rockville. Hello, Ben. How are you? Hey, guys. Long, hey, guys. Long time. Uh, appreciate the time on the radio. Um, I got to tell you guys, uh, for me personally, uh, it's always going to be Creed as the number one spot. I mean, that it's just, yeah, it's still the number one spot. Everybody would generally agree if you listen to them on the radio. Wasn't that like 1990 or something? Yeah, it's it's going way back. But still, if you go back and, and see that and rewatch it on the old YouTube, it's still regarded, I would say, as the number one spot of all time. It was just. Yeah, that video started making say. the rounds again this year. Because Texas, yeah, it, uh, the Rangers, it, yeah. on their run to the World Series, that was like their their team anthem. Have you heard of her, sir? Uh, yes, and I preferably don't care. Um, that's a famous sort of chick band. I mean, they're good, but me personally, I still go back to the old days. So, uh, thank you for the call. Darius, are they a band or right. is it one woman? He's now suggesting this is a band. I've only known her to be one woman, but I could be mistaken. I'd be so mad if I was in that band and it was not called like 
Uh, Us. Yeah, exactly. Several people. Right. They. Like, <laughs> them. Yeah. Her. Let's go to Brendan in Fredericksburg. What's up, Brendan? So I'm a Usher fan from back in the day. I don't listen to him anymore, but back in the day I was. Well, so it was fairness, cool. no, I don't think before this year anybody's been listening to him for a long time. He, he should have sung less songs but longer versions Agreed. of those songs. Agreed. So you guys are right with that. And, and I didn't know who her is, and I still don't know who her is, but I understood why he did, did it. He needed to do a costume change. And he needed to get... Oh, yeah, with the this roller skates thing. and the blue thing. Totally, totally. Well, yeah, I get it. We get how the concert yeah. No, no, I understand. Worked. But, I mean, there are a lot of other musicians. You know, you could have gotten, uh, you know, you, you could have called up uh, Beyonce for 30 seconds if you wanted to. I don't I get, know if she was available or not. I don't, I don't I don't. know if I'm explaining my complaint very well. I, I don't know that it, even people even your care. Your complaint is you don't know who her is. Well, but it's not even that. It's that, like, there were supposed to be these, like, can you believe... like. Everyone saw when Ludacris pops out for, for yeah, sick, yeah, right? Everyone sees that. They go, Ludacris, I get it. He's famous enough. Crosses over. Casual fans, people that like football, people that don't like football, they know that's Ludacris. There are several people that they trotted out that were that are supposed to be these like, oh, type moments. Like a couple years ago, I, I can't remember who the surprise was. Was it, was it Snoop or Eminem was the surprise? Everyone was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. They tried to do that, and it was like, is that CeeLo? Or is that actually Jermaine Dupree, who looks different than – I'm not sure who he is. He's wearing shorts. Who's in the helmet? This person that – now I guess I'm offending people that I don't know who yeah. she is. Like, that just landed flat to me. My point is, uh, I think there was a big group of people who each time was like, oh, it's her. And they're like, who? And they're like, no, it's her. And someone says, who is it? And they go, her. She's right there. And they mm. go, I see her, but who is she? And they go, her. Like the who's on first bit. I think that was happening. In 100 a lot million of people watch it, give or take, right? Let's say 100 million Americans. Yeah. How many of those, without Googling, are like, oh, I know that artist immediately? All right. So I want to use percentage. I think percentages is the way to do this. Yeah. What percent of adults, mm-hmm. I'm going to say 18 and over, last night watching, knew who that was? I'm going to say 35%. But at the same time, I'm going to say only 60% knew who Usher was. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Like, okay. my, my dad turning that on, has he heard the name Usher? Of course. If you just saw Usher dancing around like he's Neo or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, is, is he going, oh, that's Usher. I remember my confessions. Absolutely not. Like, the, there's a ton of people You know that DP watching. was, like, bumping my confession part two? I, I'm not so sure that he was. Okay. I used to cut our grass listening to my confessions part two. <laughs> These are my confessions. So I, I would say for her. You had 35% of the audience yeah. last night. I think it's 35% of 20,000 people knew who that was right away. Like, I think it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent. And they thought it would be this big pop thing because she won a Grammy that time. Let's go to Jay in Springfield. What's up, Jay? Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, dude. Uh, Do you know her? Uh, did, uh, did we forget that Michael Jackson performed it? That's the best. That's the best all-time Super Bowl. I'm um, half time. Well, Michael Jackson performed. No, oh, we did. We did not. We have dude, not really beyond been, incredible. We have not really been talking yeah. about the best. Uh, one guy called in and gave us his favorite. That oh. really wasn't what even. So, but, but the, yes, that was a great show. The quick bit about that, by the and way, was the Super Bowl. Hold on, one sec, one sec. Super Bowl used to not have a halftime show. 
But in Living Color right. aired an episode during the halftime of the Super Bowl the year before that drew like 30 million people. So they said, all right, yeah, we're doing yeah, a halftime yeah. show, and they booked Michael Jackson to change the game. So I'm you've heard of her that, or you yeah. haven't? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I I actually have her album. And she's not it's not a band, it's a, it's a girl and she's absolutely gorgeous. But um yeah, no yeah, one's she's disputing a, that. Is she is she But I mean you're right though. What's it's her like, level of stardom? It's not demographic though. Like 1 mm-hmm. to 10 is demographic so What's her audience? Like I I'm I'm honestly curious. Is it young people, old people? Like what is her audience? Her, I mean, it's more it's more going to be like in the mid 20s. I'm I'm 45, so I'm like way out of her demographic. But you, I mean, you're you're hit. So I'm gonna put it to you like this: PTC 94.5, 93.9. Let's so say Okay, so they the, okay. So it's uh, he's saying mid 20s urban. I, nothing is less Danny Ruye than that. In fairness, you know, like if if that's what we're talking about, I bet you some people were fired up to see her. Luke in DC, what's up? Yeah, I'm, I had no idea who her was. So, but I think the halftime performance was just like the game. It was got off to a slow start, but it, I thought the ending was good. But again, I I give it maybe a C C plus. That's kind of how we felt. Mm-hmm. I got this tweet here from Trayvon on Twitter. He says, <clears throat> "I'm sure a good majority of your listeners know who her was." I he can't says, believe that. But here's what he says. A good majority of us black radio listeners know who her is, LOL. I'm glad the caller was able to clarify that. It was Black History Month. The Usher Halftime Show definitely checked all of our boxes. But he's claiming, I'll just, you know, we're just, me and you, me and you are just kind of dopey whites. Yeah, you, you, you <laughs> stock white yeah, exactly. <laughs> who doesn't know stuff. I, and I get I, it. I think that's very possible. But I still thought that was a good part of the show. I just didn't know who it was. I'm not as annoyed by like you're saying like they, they wanted me to know who she was. I don't think anyone wanted no, you I, to. I don't, I, and I'm not describing it very well. Like I think they were supposed to be these like I, I don't have a, I don't have a better way to say it than these oh kind of moments, which they always have. Like when the when the guest comes out that you don't expect, right? When uh I I, I don't know again. I, I was Eminem a couple years ago. It's like oh my god, Eminem's here. Along with the the my favorite rappers and these guys that are absolute legends that everybody knows. This is awesome. What a move. A dude in shorts that we were confused who it was exactly. A guy in a mask and someone that I've never heard of. Like th- that to me sort of just tells you that the whole thing fell flat. That's the, the case I'm trying to make. And I watched it and not knowing who everyone was the entire time, it wasn't flat for me. I was like, okay, this is, they're putting on a pretty good mm-hmm. show. I didn't necessarily have the, the pop of the rumble, you know, Royal Rumble when the music hits. Mm-hmm. When like Jermaine Dupri is like, oh, that's him. But I had that for Luda. I had that for Lil John. Which are, those are my guys. Mm-hmm. Someone else's guy is Will I Am. He's not really my guy. Not everything for me necessarily. Uh, Aaron says, "I thought you were a Prince Mark." She said, "All Prince fans know of her because she's heavily involved in the tributes uh, when Prince passed away." I don't know if that's true or not. I probably should have known that then. But yeah, the Prince halftime show when he played "Purple Rain" in the rain—that was big time. Come on, dude. Can't do better. Than Come that. on. Let's talk Patrick Mahomes next. You've heard of him. You're familiar with him. Patrick Mahomes? Oh, yeah, I know that guy. He's, he's straight truth. Grant and Danny on the fan.
I don't know. There was a lot of tension in this building, but you're used to coming back from double digits down, and you did it today. Tell us about that winning drive and how this team held it together, composure and all. Um, really, just the whole game was uh, just kind of our, our whole entire season. It was the defense just keeping us in there, um, and then the offense making plays when it counted. And then, of course, Harrison Bucker hitting from about 70. So it's, um, it was a microcosm of our whole season. I'm just proud of the guys. They kept believing. Um, and, I'm, and I'm proud of the coaches for calling up those plays. They got us some touchdowns there at the end. You know, you go on and win the championship. Being the underdog the last three games in the playoffs. Maybe a lesson learned for everybody else out there in the future. Yeah, just know that the Kansas City Chiefs are never underdogs. Just know that. <laughs> what a great line by Patrick Mahomes. Jim Nance, CBS telecast, post-game last night. Welcome back, Grant and Danny on the fan. We're taking you up to 6.30, one hour from right now. I uh, should let you know that we've got another pair of tickets we're giving away today right at 6, coming up in about a half hour. Premier Lacrosse League tickets. In fact, it's a four-pack to go experience the best lacrosse in the world, President's Day weekend over at the St. James in Springfield. So if you're into that, Make sure you're listening coming up in about a half hour. Danny, if you don't beat the Chiefs this year, it might be a while. You may not get a chance, dude. Now, football is weird, and the ball bounces in strange ways, and it goes without saying they're not going to win every year. I understand that. But this is the worst version of the Chiefs in this era with Reed and Mahomes and Kelsey that we've seen by far. And even with that, you know, watered down, worst team, worst offense, most pedestrian Mahomes has been because of weapons around him. They ran the table in the playoffs with the hardest path ever via DVOA to get to a Super Bowl and win. They went on the road three times en route to winning this championship. Mahomes improves to 9-2 and two with the Chiefs in 11 games when this Kansas City group is down by a touchdown with him at quarterback. The first quarterback to ever now win a Super Bowl with the largest cap hit in the league, they continue to break ground and break records. And I said this last night, and some people pushed back and said, well, Brady did it. Factually and statistically, we have never seen anyone do what Patrick Mahomes has done. Brady won three Super Bowls in his first six seasons as a starter, just like Mahomes. Mahomes won four AFC titles. Brady won three, if you're comparing accomplishments. There is no comparison statistically between the two, for the record. Zero. Zippy. You know, different eras, which makes it difficult as well, I would add. You know, in that the throwing of the football was not as ubiquitous. Offense wasn't at the same level. Exotic passing games weren't on the same level when Brady was playing. But that having been said, one of these guys has been the best passer in the league throughout this era and that's Mahomes, I looked it up last night. Tom Brady's first Super Bowl win, he averaged sub-150 yards passing in those three playoff games, and he had one touchdown and one interception the entire postseason through the Super Bowl. One touchdown, one pick, and he threw for about 150. Not to mention they should have been eliminated on the terrible uh, tuck rule bit that was actually a fumble, but I digress. We've never seen anything like what Mahomes has done through these six seasons as a starter. And I know this is going to sound like I'm a hot taker. I know this is going to sound like I should be sitting on a set with Shannon Sharp and Nick Wright and, you know, Stephen A. Smith and whoever else is doing those shows. 
And I hate this knowing that it's going to sound that way, like I'm a prisoner of the moment, but I'm not. I believe I'm ready to say, Danny, today, Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. People are not ready for that conversation. They just look at the Super Bowl titles. He's got seven versus dot, 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 and they'll, they'll couch it however they want to. In my lifetime, this is the best I've ever seen. He's the greatest of all time as far as I'm concerned at this point. Now, there's a distinction, I think, to be made between greatest career or he's the greatest because you can't – it's not his fault that he hasn't played the 20-plus years that Tom Brady got to, still being incredibly productive into his 40s. Tom Brady at 44 years old threw for 43 touchdowns for a Super Bowl champion. Not uh, – not uh, uh, was the other – Pat Mahomes, thank you. Not his fault that he hasn't done that yet because he's not 44 years old, right? He's got, he's got a chance to play for a long time. And how many guys are going to play for 23 years at one of the most demanding positions in the world? Yeah, Mahomes probably right? won't play 23 years, and he almost certainly won't throw for 4,300 yards in his mid-40s. So if, if the question is, has anybody played this position at this level ever, the answer is no. The same way I said, and it bothered baseball people this past year, nobody has ever played baseball better than Shohei Otani. That doesn't mean he's the greatest player of all time. Of course not. That's reserved for rarefied air of, of Bonds and Aaron and Ruth and, uh, you know, name your pitcher that you want to throw and in, in include in that. Because of the longevity, doing it for that high of a level for that long. Shohei Otani is going to play a fraction at the major league level, whether it's due to injury or late start or otherwise. But I stand by it. Nobody has ever played baseball better than Shohei Otani these last couple of seasons. Nobody. Nobody's done what he does. Nobody's come close. The game is played at a higher level now than it was before. Middle relievers, former soft-tossing, uh, puss-throwing, you know, two-seeming uh, roll-you-over-a-ground-ball lefties throw 99 miles an hour. The world is different. Nobody has done this. Tom Brady, in his second year as a starter, led the league in touchdown passes. That's adorable. Tom, uh, Pat Mahomes had twice as many in his second full year as a starter with 50. I know there's an evolution of the game, but it's not twice as many touchdown passes for people uh, different, if that makes any sense. This is another level of quarterbacking that has been unlocked, and nobody's played it better than he has. He hasn't turned in the greatest career ever yet because he hadn't had time to yet. The pace that he's on certainly is, though. It's not as crazy as a statement as some people might make it out to be. Yeah, a couple of things complicate this. Number one, Brady got better later, as is generally going to be the case. But more was put on his plate. He was more responsible for the winning, and he just got to a point where he was a much better quarterback late in his career. He went six or seven straight years averaging between 13 to 15 interceptions per year before late in his career when he just stopped throwing them all together. But if you're just stacking up Mahomes' first six years versus Brady's first six years, I think it's a no contest. You know, Yes, the Patriots won just about as much as the Chiefs. Both three titles over six seasons as a starter. The Chiefs four AFC titles, the Patriots three. But if you're looking at Mahomes, this was the first year that he didn't carry them and kind of drag them to a title offensively with a mediocre or worse defense or, or with a running game that was pedestrian. This was a much more Brady-ish kind of run where the running game was good and the defense was good. But what he did yesterday, people say Brady did a lot with a little, and he did. I don't think he ever did what Mahomes did yesterday. Won a Super Bowl, leading his team in rushing, while his number one and number two wide receiver in the game 
were McCole Hardman and Justin Watson. Hardman is just a replacement level in and out of the organization this season guy. And Watson, who's the number five in, in a lot of places. Like, give me a break. We have not seen anything like that. And I, I just also, I know it's a different era. But I do think you have to acknowledge that in Brady's first Super Bowl run, they beat Pittsburgh in a game in which he went 12 of 18 for 115 yards. Like, it doesn't matter what era that is. That is a guy that's just not asked to do a whole lot. Doesn't take away from the amazing run. I was at Super Bowl 36 in New Orleans when they went on a game-winning drive, Dinkin and Duncan down the field. I think he threw for 145 in that game. And Vinatieri hit the game winner. But it's, it's not the same as what we're seeing Mahomes do who's the best quarterback, the best passer, mm-hmm. the, the best player at the position year in and year out. He's already stacking MVP trophies. Year two, it's not be a passenger because we've got this ready-made team. Year two, it's it's your show, kid, and he throws for 50 touchdowns. Talking about Mahomes. Brady's first time really having a legitimate shot at MVP. He won it in 2007, which was like seven years into his career. It was essentially after they'd already won the first three Super Bowls, mm-hmm. essentially. It might have been the year of the third Super Bowl. And then Bowl. it was that, that when they morphed into that offensive juggernaut, scoring more points, breaking the uh, the the Vikings than the uh, 91 Redskins, scoring records, throwing deep to Randy Moss every other time. I mean, that, that offense and that team, that should have been the 19-0 team. Of course, the Giants got him. But that was the first time this was a – and listen, to Brady's credit, he handled it really well. I mean, that's the blueprint, right? You've got a ready-made contender – you drop a guy into that who's doing just enough, who's managing, managing, playing very well. Doesn't, doesn't take anything away from him. It's just to say that the guy that's considered the greatest of all time through the same amount of time simply wasn't doing this. Right. Wasn't doing what Mahomes is doing right now. So uh, one thing that I don't think is ir- is is debatable even, is irrefutable. I think to say that through six seasons as a starter, that's the sample we have of Mahomes, and we can look at Tom's first six seasons. Mahomes has a better first six years. Same number of rings, one more AFC championship game if you're into the winning stats, and then the actual involvement and piece of the pie, what you're responsible for in the winning is night and day different than Tom Brady. So I don't even think that's debatable. I am just saying, though, that while Brady's the greatest winner ever for me, I already think Mahomes has done things that we never saw Brady do. Um, and and some of the numbers now, when you're you're nine and two coming back from down a touchdown in the playoffs, you know Brady ten and eleven, uh, you're doing it with a, a cap hit that takes up more money than than Tom Brady ever did. Theoretically, less around you, winning a game where you were the leading rusher and your top two wide receivers were Jags that would be cut by non-playoff teams potentially at different points this season, including Hardman, who was by the Jets. This is special. And I know people, uh, they, they don't like this. I get it. And it feels reactionary, prisoner of the moment. It's the stuff I normally make fun of. But I really think this is legit. I think we're seeing a quarterback right now who it, the conversation can begin. Is this the greatest we've ever seen anybody play this position? It's not a crazy thing to discuss. Even if people think it's too early or they're not ready to. 800-636-1067 is the number. We're Grant and Danny on the fan.
G&D taking you up to 6.30 on the fan. I saw Torrey Smith, longtime NFL wide receiver and guy that we've had on the show quite a bit. He's from the Fredericksburg area, mm-hmm. buddy of mine, tweet last night. I think I'm comfortable calling Mahomes the greatest of all time. I've seen enough. I'm not being a prisoner of the moment either. He is different. I can't tell you how much that spoke to me because he's going through the same thing I am, where you don't want to put it out there. You don't want to make it seem like it was just based on one game. It wasn't. It's not even like he did a whole lot in the first half. But I think it's one of those, if you know, you know kind of things, right? You know it when you see it. The, the, the thing that carried it that he said was, he's different. This looks nothing like the Tom Brady situation. Brady's not leading his team in rushing. Brady's not making the back-breaking scrambles. Is he going to win as many titles as Brady? Probably not. I guess it's very possible. He's 28. He's already got three. He's got to get to seven. So he might. He's ahead of schedule in terms of age from where Tom Brady was. But my guess is Brady ends up with more MVPs in the Super Bowl, no more Super Bowl trophies. But I don't think anyone has ever been more single-handedly responsible for their team winning three titles, let alone three in five years. Like, when you look up some of the guys who have a bunch of rings, Bradshaw's got four, as an example. Right. Terry Bradshaw, his numbers are disgusting. You know, the fact that he's in the Hall of Fame is hilarious. Uh, totally different era, but still, even even among his contemporaries, it wasn't like he was This is my point. dominating in completion percentage, touchdowns, yards per attempt, or whatever. Steel curtain, couple Hall of Fame wide receivers. I'm not holding the era against him. Okay, but like this is a guy who would have, you know, in the peak of his career at his apex when he's winning the MVP award, you know, 20 interceptions. I mean, it's it's just a different thing mm-hmm. altogether. But that is OK to suggest, by the way, this Mahomes thing is different. And so we haven't really seen anything like it. It sounds like I should be on some midday ESPN TV show, but I think it's reality. And I just want to know if people are ready to start discussing the fact that we've never seen anything like this. Like, just because Brady has the same number of rings as Mahomes doesn't make it the same. I just told you. Brady, in his first Super Bowl run in three games, threw one touchdown with one pick and averaged 140 yards. Now, different era. I would add that it wasn't like 1926. It was the 2000s, barely. But even if you bake in that exchange rate, you watch the games, man. It's a different thing altogether. These are different guys. And it was I was surprised to see people start saying it last night, but it kind of makes you feel a little more, more comfortable well, coming yeah, out of I the, mean, the woodwork. You got to shake your head and just kind of go, it's okay to say it. What Brady has over everybody, until someone else comes along and has their own nutrition method where they don't eat tomatoes or like grapes or 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 you know anything. Uh, is the 22 years as a starter. That's the part that I just, we should be talking about more. As a 44-year-old, he threw 43 touchdowns. That, to me, is as much or more impressive as all the damn winning and uh, this record and who he beat here and all all the stuff that all the hyperbolic folks uh, like to do with the knee-jerk reactions. A lot of bold ink on Tom Brady's pro football reference page. He'll go down as the greatest ever because of the longevity of his career, all that he accomplished. I don't think anybody's touching that, and that's fine. What I'm saying, I don't want to speak for you, but here's where I'm trying to put it. Nobody's ever done this through six years as a starter. No, when you add in 
the improvisational ability, when you add in some of the key rushing moments, right, when you add in some of those scrambles, you add in some of the throws that no human being save Sonny Jurgensen uh, for, you know, teams that were barely 500 were making back in the day. Like, this is unprecedented. Tom Brady grew into that superstar that would throw for 38, 40, 50 touchdowns. Pat Mahomes did it his first year as a starter, basically, as a juggernaut. We have never seen this. Danny's willing to go as far as to say Mahomes is playing at the highest level, the semantics there. I'm just saying this is the best quarterback I've ever seen. I'm ready to call it right here, right now. Uh, I want to get into the hire the commanders just made on their staff as well because there's a brand-new hire that just came out a minute ago. That's fantastic. We'll do that next. On the fan, want your feedback on our Mahomes conversation on G&D. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. <laughs> 